JGL is a two-wheeled assassin, the son of Bruce Lee, and one of the best Super Mario 2s of all time, this week on 30 Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a little journey back into the world of 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Grab your time machine, hop in with us as we hop in, we go back to three decades ago from this very date. From this very date, I'm talking about August 19th through the 25th. Uh, and we'll be covering the decades of 1992, 2002, and 2012. 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get it? Tell a friend about the show. We love you. Hi, one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who also is with me. I'm Diana Goodman, and you want to see a Paso Doble? This is a Paso Doble! <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and I can't work in an office. I don't like wearing suits. I like to <laughs> ride, fix gears, steel frame, no brakes. The bike cannot coast. The pedals never stop turning. Can't stop. Don't want to, either. I've never <laughs> wanted to collect so many sound bites from a film before, because holy shit. <laughs> cannot wait to get to what J.R. is referencing. Whew. Uh, welcome to 302010, everyone. Uh, and, and again... Thank you very much to our patrons, patreon.com slash lasertime. You guys just recorded a classic corner thingy on uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. We should have Star Hell Trek yeah. 2 going up this week. Uh, you can find the Patreon, five bucks, support all of our shows. We'll give you a bunch of extra stuff. Gotta talk to the Video Game Apocalypse boys about doing a, another video game show. Anyway, um, we'll put some more stuff there as we get to it. Thanks so much for our supporters. Five bucks all we ask. Woo, this week is fun. Uh, uh, full of weird crap. Uh, <laughs> very weird <laughs> Yeah, yeah. weird Ex- crap. Exper- yeah. Well, it just rain of crap. We live in a, a time of films where I don't feel like there are any chan- many chances taken at all. Even the small movies are like biopicy or based on true events. Big movies. Uh, we just get a lot of genre stuff nowadays. So there's a lot of fun, weird crap to talk about throughout this entire episode as summer essentially drives to a close. Um, yeah. But August yeah. can be kind of a dumping ground, so you do get some weird stuff. It mixed in with like the bigger name stuff. So yes. I, I've determined January is the dumping ground and August is just weird. August is weird. And uh, TV should kick back in very soon. But until oh, then, oh so much gosh. Good TV coming. there is one week, you guys, in September. <laughs> you'll know it when it comes. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's let's start with 1992, as we always do. We'll bring you here's a little bit of news. So maybe you can remember what was going on, if not for the pop culture releases, your movies, your TV, your video games, your music and whatnot. U.S. Marshals move in on Randy Weaver's cabin in Ruby Ridge, Idaho, to apprehend him on firearms charges and an 11 day standoff ensues. Welcome to the beginning of the militia movement, everybody. No, I'm going to take my guns. Yep. That's all. It all started with some shot off shotguns. That's it. It started with some sawed-off shotguns. He shot sawed him off too short, and people end up fucking dying. So Randy Weaver and his family are, you know, live off the land. Uh, The apocalypse is coming. They Um, they took the bad economic conditions in 1992 as the sign of the end times as prophesized in the Bible. Jesus Christ. This is the thing that always gets to me. It's like, this book is theoretically written for all times and all places, but no, it's obviously talking about 1992 
<laughs> I don't. God, little little bit of an ego problem there, guys. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're he is one of these like oh you know everything's super corrupt by the blacks and the Jews, even though Taxation he argued he was fifth. not he was not an Aryans Nations member, but he did enjoy their meetings. So <laughs> you know he's one of those. Folks oh, he had bad friends. <laughs> he had bad friends oh. and. Yeah, government's going to take his gun So because he's selling illegal <clears throat> sawed-off shotguns. So he sold some to uh, an informant, and he was arrested. He got released, and... Um, well, they were doing the classic thing where they get you for something little, and they yeah. don't really care about you. They want the people who are bigger fish than you. Yeah. And they kept trying to get him to cooperate and he kept saying no and they kept going well then we're going to prosecute you for the illegal thing you illegally did yeah and the lesson is always flip always yep. always, always flip, folks. be the first one to talk always 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 <sighs> so yeah so he had a warrant out for his arrest for not showing up for trial and they realized this guy is a gun nut and uh u.s marshals come in and accidentally run into him his son and their dog and a firefight starts, and the kid gets killed, the dog gets killed, and a federal marshal gets killed, and now it's fucking serious. Mm. <sighs> and the siege starts because, uh, yeah, he hides up in his cabin. Sniper shoots his wife while she's holding a toddler, I believe. Jesus and Christ. her dead body is sitting on the kitchen yeah. table for days. I, I, it's I, I never fucking under... terrible. It is No, it really is the government done fucked up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the, the prelude to... The biggest government done fucked up at this time. Waco comes next year. Yes, yeah. it's the same fucking and thing. It's, where it's like also firearms. <laughs> yeah, just trying to roll up on people with too many weird guns, and it just goes well, straight to hell. Weird guns are a, a bit of a passion thing for me. I hate them and consider them a toxic element of our society. And this all could have been avoided had we not fixated mm -hmm. on them as a culture. And I just yes. what it's worth pointing out to people who think your guns are going to protect protect you from the government. Just end that myth right now. Enjoy your frozen bank accounts and drone strikes. It's not going to help you. Your guns aren't going to fend off the government. Get rid of that this fantasy. What happens. Get yeah, rid of that this fantasy. This is what happens when you stockpile weapons thinking you can take on the government. All it's your folks get shot. Happen. You're pretty much, all you're imagining is shooting your neighbors and your own loved ones and more than likely taking your own life at the end of one of these incidents. It's, yeah. No, government done fucked up. And the Weaver survivors sued and they won because government done fucked up. <laughs> I hope we and, have some separation that's listening to this podcast. <laughs> and, and this absolutely sparks plenty more people who are super pissed at the government. Besides yeah. Waco, this directly inspires the militia movement in the U.S., including Timothy McVeigh's bombing of the Oklahoma City Federal Building. <sighs> this is still a referenced today. Percent. Yes. Uh, you can One still hear references to Ruby Ridge. Ruby Ridge is referenced 30 I, I, years later. Yeah, I, I've heard it a billion times not really knowing fully what it was about. And, and maybe now you do, uh, listeners. Uh, on a little bit of brighter side of news, <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> uh, Larry Bird announces his retirement and... As a not very big sports fan, I'm not sure we've ever cared about a white basketball player ever again. Uh, None come to mind. I know there's some. There may have been one in Space Jam. I cannot remember. But, like, I really can't think of one. I really can't think of a, a white basketball player as a household name for the next 30 uh, John years. John Stockton stuck around. I, I've heard his Who? name. He I was great. Because he, he looked like a, a soccer dad. He's my favorite thing. Like, he always looked like he was just thinking, like, oh, I got to get finished with this NBA game so I can pick the kids up at soccer practice. <laughs> and, uh, oh, boy. Uh, a, big, uh, a big disaster uh, with a 
huge personal touch for me that we sort of uh, missed last week, but the devastation, once again, the people don't die in the midst of a hurricane. They die in the aftermath and the days following without power and water and all that stuff. Hurricane Andrew has devastated Florida and with over 60 eventually dead, it's the deadliest hurricane in Florida's recorded history. Who gets? I'm from Florida. We get hit by a hurricane pretty much once a year. Even in South Florida, it's never been this bad. There are over 250,000 people homeless afterwards. And in today's money, about $27 billion worth of damages. And it's the costliest hurricane until, obviously, Katrina. But... I was living in North Florida at the time. My relatives in South Florida were without power for a very long time. My childhood water park was just taken off the map and is gone completely. Uh, no! I, not the water it's, park. I know, and not, I'm, not, I'm not overshadowing the loss of life. And, and, but there's so much water now. It should be even better. And, and like Katrina, we inherited people. I, I, it feels like something that shouldn't happen in a that happens in third world countries but katrina and hurricane andrew were we're eight hours north and our hotel rooms were designated for refugees of the hurricane people just showed up at our school eight hours away and yeah as refugees from hurricane Andrew, starting a completely new life it's something i can't even imagine uh happening in america and as a final note again not to overshadow the loss of life property we got our dog uh, my mom rescued uh, uh, Scotty from the damage of Hurricane Andrew, and we got a Hurricane Andrew rescue dog, uh, Mac, little Mac, um, Mac the Scotty. So yeah, Hurricane Andrew, anybody living in South Florida, the Bahamas, and I think Louisiana got a little taste of it as well, um, will remember Hurricane Andrew. It's one of the worst hurricanes in recorded history. Somewhere in the top 15, and I think some of those happened hundreds of years ago so to put that in context so i saw it made it to category five yep so it had like 160 mile an hour wind. yes like, that's bad yes i don't i don't like that yes um and go uh, florida we did a we did a podcast in florida and i believe mike drucker we talked about how much we love that water park because i really spent like yeah. days there every summer and it's it just weird to have something you have all these pictures of at that just is no is no more. It's gone, uh, and and not because it went out of business. It's because it was obliterated by a natural disaster. Um, oh shoot! I'm worried now. Have you even heard of the Six Flags outside New Orleans? Uh oh. Yes, no. this is where they filled Zombieland, right? I think maybe. Yeah. Yeah. There was a full on gigantic Six Flags that got. Yeah, they film. They film a bunch of stuff there. Completely destroyed. By, yeah, yeah. It's an unusable it's amusement park that hasn't been torn down. Unsafe. Yeah. Yes. But... Oh, the memories. Where did the costume characters flee to? <laughs> and I love that. It was Six Flags Atlantis once, and then it became regular Atlantis. This is boring. Look up <laughs> Six Flags Atlantis. Let's go into movies. Uh, movies, 1992, uh, August 19th to the 25th. Unforgiven is still number one of the box office. A huge hit for Clint Eastwood. Okay. We sung its praises a few episodes ago. New movies include Paul Mercurio, uh, Tara Morris, and uh, Bill Hunter in Strictly Ballroom. It begins. What begins? This is Baz Luhrmann, motherfuckers. Ah. Yep, there's back down in a little country that nobody liked called Australia. <laughs> there was a weird guy named Baz Luhrmann. And he put on a stage production that grew and grew and grew. It started as a short thing. It became like a whole play and it became really popular. And they sold the rights and said, but I get to direct it because I want to make movies. Because I have ADHD so severely, I can't hold a shot for more than 20 seconds. <laughs> I want to make a movie about Nansen. And so he does. And it becomes a big international hit. A because Strictly hit. Ballroom is really adorable and charming. And it does show, yes, Baz Luhrmann of, you know, Moulin Rouge fame. 
Once Upon a Time was a little bit more of a normal director until he mm. really he found his mojo around Romeo and Juliet, I suppose. They're called the, they do call them the Red Curtain Trilogy. Mm-hmm. This, Romeo and Juliet, and Moulin Rouge. As a theme, I'm not sure what the theme is, except lots of music and lots of dancing. A budget of $3 million in Australia made $800 million Australian dollars alone. Massive, <laughs> massive oh success. Yeah. 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 I think I love Australian humor, y'all, because uh, <laughs> this is just a delight from start to finish. It is a yeah. fantastic movie. I love any movie that takes little things super seriously. I mean, (laughs) humans are meaning-finding machines. Uh, Objectively, in and of itself, there's no difference between winning the Pan-Pacific dancing competition (laughs) and winning the Super Bowl. But... (laughs) We give one greater meaning than the other, but to the people involved, it's that big. And that's how this movie presents it. It presents the Pan Pacific ballroom dancing competition as the equivalent to winning the Super Bowl for these people, because for these people, it absolutely is. And I love that about it. They're they're ballroom dancers. They really, really care about it. And so, so much of the cast is made up of these like Australian character actors that are just like cartoonish they're very cartoonish figures and they really care about you know how they're going to win by doing the ogo pogo or whatever and they've got the ridiculous costumes and they got the ridiculous makeup but they care so much about this freaking ballroom competition and then you know this bright young guy he needs a new partner and so he you know gets this girl and they work really really hard and then they go to the competition i mean it's pretty it's a pretty simple story and it's just so like colorful and goofy and offbeat sometimes it's yeah it's charming as hell yeah highly recommend it it's just a joy from start to finish uh have either of you ever been to dancing lessons as an adult no so don't need uh, them too good (laughs) (laughs) i I took some for my wedding so that we could actually dance and uh later on we had some friends who were really into shagging Huh? Now, what? shagging is a type of dancing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I guess th- we, we talked they... about shag the movie, Chris. It's important. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, they asked us to go to the North Carolina shag competition with them. Wow. And we did. And it brought the winner is always Austin brought... Powers. <laughs> it's so <laughs> many. Yes. They they do the jokes. They make every shag joke you can make. They have a good sense of humor about it until you make one joke too many. And then they're just like, all right, Enough. you're done. You're cut off. <laughs> uh, but seeing this movie absolutely brought back memories of going to that shag competition because, yep, that's that's how they regard it. Yeah, they, they're serious about it. They care. It's fun. Yep, yeah. there's romance, there's dancing. But it's not like girly, you know. I feel like it's a pretty solid date movie. Yeah, absolutely. As is yeah. uh, Stephen Hawking's Strictly A Brief History of Time. <laughs> great date movie. <laughs> That's a, not a great date well, movie. I don't know. Um, it depends on your date, but yeah. I guess. I, I, I mean, it's a fun double feature. Brief History of Time and Strictly Ballroom, sure. It's like, and you know how these ballroom dancers exist? Well, because of time. spectral physics and yeah. uh, worm theories. And, so yeah. I, uh, I bought a physics book about time about 10 years ago hope that's what it's called cover to cover and i cannot now 10 years later remember a single thing about the physics of time time is super weird you all Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. it is a weird 
weird thing. And this documentary, I, it's, it's not as good as the fictional movie about Stephen Hawking. I, I'm blanking on the name. Oh, uh, Theory of Everything. There you go. Yeah, Theory of Everything is actually in some ways more honest than this documentary because this documentary tries to tell the story of Stephen Hawking, but it leaves a bunch of stuff out that the movie doesn't. While they were making this documentary, he started dating yes. and having an <laughs> affair with uh, his uh, assistant, which I got to say is impressive. <laughs> I mean, how do you use your mad skills when you talk this speed electronically? I, I mean, that's that's some mad game there. It really, really <laughs> gives further credit to the whole men or dogs thing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> All this going yeah, on with Stephen Hawking. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination biography of Stephen Hawking and him talking about what it is he studies. And yes, it's very complicated astrophysical stuff about how time compresses or the nature of the end of the universe. And, you know, it's to me, Errol Morris, who is fun because, like, his interview style tends to really get people to open up mm -hmm. in, in a way you know he basically has them talk to a tv and he's like in another room and because they're alone they kind of open up but stephen hawking obviously massive mobility issues and has to type out what he says using his eyes in a little blow thing so the same effect does not really work because it's kind of hard to catch him on something <laughs> because he's yeah. got to talk so slowly. You really, you have to give him time to type out his answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah but uh, uh, this cool. is one of those books that everyone said would be unfilmable uh, mm. because, you know, it's, it's, it's about physics. It's a, yeah. it's trying to explain complex things. And given that limitation, I will say it does a excellent job adapting what should be an impossible book. Yeah. Yeah, they laid, laid some stuff out, even if I don't understand it, as there is a certain amount of, whoa, man. And it's got a cool Philip Glass score, so I guess you could just get high and watch it, and it'd be yeah. pretty cool. Okay. Uh, from Eternity to Here, The Quest for the Ultimate Theory of Time by Sean M. Carroll. That's the book I read, and if any listener can summarize it for me, I'd appreciate it, because I remember nothing. <laughs> Not a goddamn thing. Thing. And I, I did read it. Right. Nope. Just went out my brain. Okay. Mm. we got to move on to his too many movies in this opening segment. A movie I had never heard of, a little Paul Schrader joint. David Spade, Sam Rockwell, uh, Robert, uh-oh, uh, Gene Adams, Victor Garber, Mary Beth Hunt, David Clennon, uh, Dana Delaney, Susan Sarandon, Willem Dafoe, and Light Sleeper. Yeah, Paul Schrader says this is his most personal film. Weird. And I can see that because it's about a recovering addict who is also a drug delivery guy. Not the last delivery guy we'll talk about. We have a whole bunch of delivery guys this yeah. week. Yeah. And yeah, he has like really bad insomnia, but he can't take anything for it because he's a recovering addict. And that, and sh there's shenanigans with his ex. Bad things happen. He thinks this guy's going to kill him. And it's just him like just trying to keep his shit together, which, yeah, Willem Dafoe. I don't know if you want him to get his shit together, though, yeah. when you see him. He's... He's so he's so creepy. This is the first time they he worked with Paul Schrader. They he might have to talk on. at a normal speed if that were to occur. <laughs> oh no, no, he's scarier that way. No, we don't need but, that. But uh, they met on Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, because Schrader wrote that, and now Willem Dafoe shows up in like all of his movies. He's done mm -hmm. like a half a dozen movies with Schrader now. I've I found it pretty good. 
pretty interesting. I mean, it moves along at a decent it, pace, it, and it definitely has that sort of like shit that's going on while the normies are asleep. At, at a glance, I think this has the highest Rotten Tomato score of any movie we're going to talk about in the show. Probably. At a glance. It's not a great week. <laughs> uh, well, it's 86 is impressive. Yeah. Um, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of those that's kind of lost in his filmography and like all of these people's filmography because they have like more hardcore stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you don't want to watch Taxi Driver, I guess Light Sleeper is better <laughs> for you then. <laughs> There you go. And as opposed to 86 on Rotten Tomatoes, the next movie has a 14. Xander Berkeley, Alfre Woodard, Kathy Moriarty, William Forsythe, Julianne Moore, uh, Eric Thai, uh, yeah, Thal, uh, Penelope Ann Miller, and The Gun in Betty Lou's Handbag. Oh, God. Mm. It's wackity schmackity, everybody. Yes. I, I somehow remember the marketing for this and begging my parents to see this. And they're like, no. You're going to hate this movie. <laughs> you can't go see this. Yeah. She's a like super restrained librarian. And then there's like a mob hit and she ends up with the gun. And so she just says that she did the mob hit for attention and praise, I guess. And then she goes to prison and like becomes a better person. It, uh, I don't, I don't get it. Like Penelope Ann Miller was so close to becoming a thing. I know. And I know. I was going to ask what's everybody's favorite Penelope Ann Miller movie. <laughs> uh, oh, couldn't even name it. Set uh, her in the shadow. I think um, it is. Big Top Pee Wee. Oh, no. <laughs> no, uh, Carlito's Way. Carlito's She's Way. She's really good in Carlito's Way. Yeah. Love Biloxi Blues. And, and okay. I hate it now. when, I hate it when this happens. We have an Armageddon Deep Impact situation this year. And <laughs> yeah. I glanced at this movie and I was like, fuck that movie. I'm never watching it again. And then I looked at the last minute and like, this is the one I should have prioritized of all the viewings because I cannot believe it exists. Benicio Del Toro, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Robert Davi, Tom Selleck, Rachel Ward, uh, George Corfus, and Marlon Brando in Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. When the leaders of the church were as powerful as gods, the ocean sea cannot be crossed. He seduced a queen and commanded a crew of murderers and thieves on the most dangerous journey ever undertaken. Alexander Salkind presents Marlon Brando, Tom Selleck, George Korafas, Rachel Ward, Christopher Columbus, The Discovery, directed by John Glenn, and Alexander and Ilya Salkind production, Discover the World. Wow. Wow. If you haven't heard Diane and I rail about the Salkins before, there's a wonderful, interesting history in them ruining Superman for mm -hmm. so many reasons and things and people also involving yep. Marlon Brando. And this is kind of their last gig run, run yeah. their career into the ground with a notorious disaster of a well, film. Y you can kind of see it. It's 1992. It's literally the 500th <laughs> anniversary of one of the most famous historical events of all time. Mm -hmm. Cause it is, it is a world famous it's historical event. Yeah. It's yeah. a big deal. It's called the Columbian Exchange for a reason. You know, the District of Columbia is called the District of Columbia for a reason. The country of Columbia is called <laughs> Columbia for a reason. This was a big thing. You could see why on the 500th anniversary, two different companies would be like, yeah. let's make a movie about a this. A huge, thing. very expensive movie. Yeah. About this thing everybody knows about. And since everybody knows about it, we have brand awareness you can't buy with stupid Superman. It's Chris Columbus. <laughs> Kids are forced to learn about him. Yeah. But as a movie, Oy. I don't think it's a good movie. Regardless oh, of what you think about the subject matter, I don't think they tell an engaging story that makes you pulled into this world and pulled into these characters. Oh, hell no. No, this, this movie 
is on YouTube if you want to do it. Yeah, it's not on, never been on DVD in America. Right. It is, it is pretty terrible. And just as a movie, for more than two thirds of it, I felt like this was made to show to fifth graders. Really? Like this is this is a dressed up PBS movie, even though it is really expensive for the time. It's like forty five million dollars. That's mm-hmm. like ninety million dollars today. It costs as much as the other one girl. that has like bigger stars and expensive directors and stuff. This is directed by the guy who's done the last couple Bond movies, the ones that haven't been any good, mm. and stars a guy, a Greek guy who nobody knows, but then has fucking Marlon Brando as Grand Inquisitor Torquemada, <laughs> and. It really leans into, like, the religion, which I kind of appreciate that, like, they mention, for example, the expulsion of the Jews from Spain in 1492, that, like, mm-hmm. we are going to be as Catholic as fucking Catholic can be, and we're going to kick all the Jews out. Although this the, the moment where Marlon Brando, as fucking Torquemada, is like, no, Jewish friends, don't leave, just become Christians. I'm like, that's real offensive. Anyway, he, Chris, this Christopher Columbus, he's a great, fun-loving guy, but and he's got a dream. He's figured it all out. He, he wants to direct Home knows, Alone. Sorry. He, everyone knows the world is round. Mm-hmm. They don't pretend with the yeah. world is flat thing. They just think that it's too far. It's yeah. just one empty sea from here to China. Yeah, That's just too fucking far. There's a scene where the Queen of Spain says, I've gone over your report, and the ocean cannot be as large as the church says it is. But totally was it totally was it, it was yep. that large it would be the atlantic and the pacific combined which given 1492 tech means you die you die yep. everyone involved dies unless there's a series of islands and continents that no one ever uh, imagines is there or supposes is there and oh look at that you got really? lucky you got yeah. really really freaking lucky that there is an entire geological massive area that no one thought was there at all. So you can just, you can stop and get water and food now. Otherwise, mm-hmm. y'all would have died. So, yeah, he's just such a great, fun-loving guy. We're supposed to root for him and his girlfriend, Catherine Zeta-Jones. They throw in some romance for us, and then they finally get on the fucking ships, and then they throw in some intrigue. There's, like, a Portuguese saboteur on board, like, trying to keep it interesting, because the whole point of the journey is, like, it's really boring. <laughs> well, it's it's boring, and terrifying, but the terrifying is not interesting. The terrifying yeah. nature yeah. is you are sailing us into the middle of nowhere. So, you know, picture yeah. a drunk buddy who says, hey, come aboard my ship. We're just going to sail off into the distance. And... <laughs> Nothing else. Just just that. And yeah. As you're getting further and further from land with your drunk buddy, you would start getting terrified while also being super bored because all there is, is is ocean around you. It's nothing real exciting. I, I don't know how you could really capture I, I'm thinking of das- the terrifying nature of sailing into what you think is just more well, ocean. What immediately which will comes kill us from thirst. What immediately comes yeah. to mind is is Das Boot. Yeah. Because they because they are that's a movie about a submarine like not really fighting a single thing, but the un- unknowingness of being on the ship for fucking ever and going insane. But I yeah, but none there of us were depth charge attacks. There totally. were mechanical <laughs> problems, and none of us are familiar with any stories that may have happened on. Oh my God, the Nina, the Penta, the Santa Marina. It's not the Mayflower, Ooh. right? No, um, no, you got it, Nina. <laughs> the, uh, but the, yeah, uh, not what a whole stories? Lot of what stories would survive. you want to glamorize from this voyage that nobody, right. no, nobody even knows? Yeah, but then here's the thing. Then it takes a hell of a turn when he actually hits land. It is now no longer for. 10 year olds because 
All the ladies are topless. Benicio del Toro goes yeah. mad with power and starts killing people. And then they start like with the forcible Christianization and also like, well, these guys got gold and make them give up more gold. <clears throat> and they don't come back with as much gold as they want. So Columbus is like, well, let's bring back some Indians and we'll make them Christian. And that's Jeez. like, we brought souls back. So that's pretty good too. And you're like, uh, fun loving guy. And then when they won't become Christian fast enough, he says, put them in shackles. If we can't bring back Christians, we can bring back slaves, which Spain needs to. And it's like, you're from a different script altogether. That's probably the real Columbus. How did you sneak into this dumb movie that is dumb? <laughs> it's a, and then, and then they land and everyone's like, yeah. And they're like, yay, Christopher Columbus, he was the best guy ever. And it's like, okay, but I remember that scene that happened <laughs> where the, a guy literally just jumped off the ship and starts leaving. It's like, fuck this noise. I have, I-, have a better idea for Spain to get <sighs> slaves. I'd like to hear of it, Diana. Good. It's like, <laughs> what Bartolomeu the f- had some ideas on that. Yeah. Mm. Uh. yeah like, it, it's so weird that it, <laughs> it, it is so close to being just the super cheesy kids version. And then I, I, just be little things like that. They're like, whoa, I don't know. You were trying to be fair about this because you weren't this whole time. You have not been fair, but it's like, this is a weird heel turn in the middle of this incredibly stupid movie. Well, I, I, I don't know how you'd make a fair Columbus movie. And that was actually mm. commented in 1992. This is when baby JR is just becoming very pop culture aware and is reading reviews. And I definitely remember a review in 1992 saying, you know what? I don't think you can make a good Columbus movie in the year 1992. Wait for the year 2492. Maybe then <laughs> you can make it, but not now. Well, first of all, you can't all you can't fit it all in one movie. I mean, hmm. if you just want to end with him landing, that's not really the ending. That's the beginning of no. a whole different story mm-hmm. yeah. of then what happens to, you know, the native peoples in Hispaniola and then the people who come afterwards. And it's a terrible movie yeah. that takes this weird it has a couple weird attempts at being like telling the natives point of view, which they really fail at horrendously. I, I just I, I don't think get you it. need a 10 part miniseries on this. Probably like, yeah, start out with the natives, start off with mm. them living their lives, not expecting anything. They are not mm. expecting anything. You just show them living your eyes and cut between Christopher Columbus planning his voyage. And it's like it's getting closer and closer and closer. But the natives are just going about their lives completely unaware of this huge things about to uh, run into yeah. them. Yeah, I I don't think you could actually, the more I think about making even like a 10 point part miniseries would be tough because it would be so depressing. Yeah. Because Columbus was not a good person. No. Hey, it's our he, holiday, Diana. You can't yeah. take that away from us. He's our guy. We Italians. You should, <laughs> you should have Ennio Morricone Day. Yeah. You should not have good. Columbus Day. He's a man born half a millennia ago. It's mm-hmm. really, really hard to find anyone half a millennia ago who lines up with your current right. morals. If you That's think you, not really something that happens. you have differing values society. from the founding fathers. Imagine Christopher Columbus, for fuck's sake. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Go anyway, Go Christopher Columbus, The Discovery, it's the first one out the gate. It fucking blows. So I was cramming for this movie as a movie. right before. I think this would be a contender for one of the worst movies of all time had it not been completely forgotten. Totally forgotten and discarded as a film. No one remembers this, hence it's YouTube freeness. Yeah. 
a, a ninety million dollar movie just abandoned on YouTube. You hear that HBO Max, <laughs> Pat Girl? Yeah. Give us anyway. Oh, it's terrible. It's fuck. It's fucking terrible. And all my little little complaints about it trying to be the '90s version of woke, I, I just make it even more terrible. Honestly. Yes. And uh, anyway, anyway, a movie let's talk about something that's also been overshadowed. That is very fun, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. of how fucking '80s it is for 1992. <laughs> Enhancing a legend of a lineage, Michael uh, Paul Chan, Tony Longo, Z Ma, uh, Kate Hodge, Raymond J. Perry, Nick Manzuko, Powers Booth, and Brandon Yay. Lee, son of Bruce, in Rapid Fire. The word is hot. The movie is rapid fire. Move over, Van Damme and Seagal. Knock yourself out. Brandon Lee has arrived. Brandon Lee is just as exciting, intense, and charismatic as his legendary father. Whatever it takes. Like father. Like son. Like dynamite. Rapid fire. I can't think of a discussion like that outside of wrestling or like Lon Chaney Jr. Like he's as great as his father. If you love this father, you're going to love this movie. <laughs> Here well, we were. I remember the hype for this film. Brandon Lee was not a star in and of himself. He was a star because of who his father was. That's, you know? that's what I, I really wanted to get. Diana is strangely our martial arts <laughs> expert here. <laughs> I don't know Brandon Lee's reputation in the martial arts world. He had been in a couple Hong Kong films and he'd been in one Western movie with Dolph Lundgren, but this is like his first yeah. studio starring debut. Uh, this, this is his first like name above the title. We're going to make this guy a star. Yeah. yeah. And, Even but, though Showdown Little Tokyo is better. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, his martial arts reputation wasn't such as, you know, just about anyone else's, but the idea that like he can do martial arts, he can do action. And also he's good looking and he's charming was more, it was more like, oh, he can act as opposed to, oh, huh. he's a martial artist. That right. was more his reputation. I think he was, it, it had more to do with him being good looking in a Western way. Because I think, I yeah. think he's kind of a, he gives some dialogue off that's wienerish on the level like George Lucas took out of Star Wars. Like just, oh, just screams like, I'm an action hero. Like, good Lord, dude, get it together. Deepen your voice a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I know he's a good looking guy. He looks quote unquote exotic mm-hmm. because he's half Asian, half white. But he's it's good. So I think he's but good. But he's good. He's, yeah, but he's good. And every, of course, every fine. single guy. He's fine. I wouldn't to, say he's good. He's fine. Well, who are we comparing him to right now? Seagal and Van Damme. Oh, yeah. Beginnings of their careers. That's your standard, but that's the. But that is the standard. That the director of this movie is coming off of a Seagal film, and and it's it's very Seagal esque, and and the action what Brandon Lee is doing is very Hong Kong inspired, like more Jackie Chan than it is his dad's films. Cause there's a lot of comedic elements using all this weird shit around whatever he can pick up. I think he kills a guy with like a barbecue fork. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I found this movie to be a slog. I found it to be a 1980s action movie with stunt cast. Dude, the plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really expected there to be a moment when Brandon Lee shouts, Mendoza! <laughs> it's got it's got sizzling saxophone soundtrack. It's got a hilariously bad Italian bad guy who I wanted the quote 
it's an ancient Sicilian proverb. Like, what the fuck did you just say? Ancient Sicilian <laughs> proverb. Hey, yo, these hey. guys, they're Italian. They say Gabagool. My grandfather said, I'm walking here. And, like, <laughs> and he's, his, his accent is even worse than mine. But it is a very by-the-books, yeah. competent, cheesy action movie. And for some reason, man, I really like seeing these. and I, I, I love these because these are movies I sort of hated as a kid and didn't like as a growing film snob, but now I just delight in. They're just from a different era. This is a little late. And, and it's it's successful. And I think yeah. you can only attribute that to Brandon Lee. Yeah. Uh, because it, it is pretty generic. Steven Seagal would have fit in here fine. It, it does a little better, I'm going to guess, overseas as well. And I think mm-hmm. it's saddest, funniest lineage is obviously Brandon Lee wouldn't get to make a lot of films, yeah. Uh, as we'll talk about in two years, little movies, Cur- The Crow. He's got one. He's got one. Jesus. Yeah. One more, and he does not finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Clock is ticking. Seven months. We got seven months of Brandon Are Lee you left. kidding? That's Jesus, oh that's a short. Wow. Yeah, I was it pinning it at ninety four. So, so short. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wow. And uh, this movie was successful enough to get a sequel written. That sequel becomes a movie, because Brandon Lee doesn't exist, becomes a movie called Simon Says, which is then bid on by both Lethal Weapon and Die Hard. Die Hard wins. Oh, my God. And, uh, That's oh, where wow. Simon Says came Die Hard, from? Die Hard with a Vengeance Slider? is a, adapted from the sequel to this film. Wow. Yep. Wow. So this film may have done well, but I bet it didn't do well in China. Yeah. Because mm. it's a major plot point. Yeah. Uh, a lot that of Tiananmen Brandon Square Lee's talk. father died in Tiananmen Square. Mm-hmm. And that was three years ago. Do you think any Hollywood movie would wow. ever mention Tiananmen Square? No, they would. They would reshoot <laughs> no. another scene. And and but yeah. I I don't remember what China's status with Western film was at this point. It was probably just well, it's going to go to Hong it's Kong. Pretty, they yeah, were letting in about five movies a year. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was mm-hmm. it was irrelevant. We're in a big market. Yeah, it wasn't. Big... It's important to remember the insane level of growth China's had over the last thirty years. In yeah. nineteen ninety two. Going off memory here, I think they made about one to two thousand dollars per person per year. Mm. So not a huge movie going on. That's 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 uh, a that's YouTube levels of (laughs) revenue. But yeah, rapid fire. Look, if you're in for a cheese ball action movie and you want to see what Bruce Lee's son could do before he was cut down in his prime, this is pretty okay. I didn't I didn't hate this at all. It's it's a dated formulaic action movie but sometimes you know you're in the mood for that i think that's a fair point it is pretty generic in the fact that it's brandon lee a he's the son of bruce lee b we don't get much of him mm-hmm. is kind of ends up making yeah. this like yeah you should watch this why not but it's not streaming yeah. anywhere for free so i can't <laughs> i had to pay for this one so and then uh so let's move on to television of 1992 august 19th to 25th 2000 malibu road debuts God, I mean, uh, these the address. summer of 92, they are obsessed with people living on beach houses. Because um, <laughs> this is about a former prostitute, Ooh, a man. young lawyer, a would-be actress, Here. and a overprotective, two-faced, manipulative sister, all living together on a beach house in Malibu. Is it- but Melrose Place just stopped it! <laughs> but, How but are their copies? It's 1992, and everyone wants to be Californian. As, as our Hollywood masters inform us again and again and again, you are fascinated by California. Yeah. Watch everything about California. Do it. It's, it's also a spelling <laughs> joint, so that doesn't... But the, I, I don't remember Jennifer Beals and Drew Barrymore being starring in television 
at this point in their career, but here they are. Wow. As it wasn't movie. a big success. No, six episodes, but uh, never heard of it. Uh, equally never heard of Covington Cross also debuts in early August. Um, yeah, it's uh, set in 14th century England. It follows uh, Sir Thomas Gray, a widower, and his sons and daughters. And uh, Covington Cross is the name of the castle they all live in. Mm. It's a BBC joint. Broadcast in the U.S., though, uh, as a as a actual show, as a drama, that's fucking weird. Uh, also, Ione Sky was on it. Yep, because broadcast on ABC. God, they're desperate for anything to fill time. Indeed. Oh, yeah. Stupid summer. Uh, back before Al Pacino was <laughs> HBO Movies' go-to guy, it was James Woods, baby. And I get this confused because they both played Roy Cohn in HBO movies. I prefer Pacino's <laughs> performance. Uh, but this is James Woods in Citizen Cohen, uh, the story of Roy Cohn, the former president's legal idol, uh, mentor, unrepentant piece of shit, but a, but a fascinating <laughs> figure in New York wheeling and dealing. And, uh, and, and not to mention the McCarthy hearings and all that bullshit. Just a terrible, terrible guy. What's this clip we got, JR? Uh, he was also a homosexual, which yes. wasn't acceptable at the time. And he does some very not subtle musing on the topic in front of some other people. He, he was not being very careful. Joe, just because Lillian Hellman lives with a man does not necessarily mean she's not homosexual. Everybody starts out straight. I've never heard of anybody being born homosexual, have you? I mean, it's just time goes by, and sometimes I guess <laughs> it happens to them without them even knowing it. Them! Them! I'm not speaking for a friend. About He's talking to Joe Don, Joe Don Baker. Who I never forget the one of the first things I saw Diana's husband wrote that I really laughed at. He was writing about joysticks and called Joe Don Baker career slob. And <laughs> it still makes me laugh. Yeah, uh, but uh, this film also constantly is throwing doubt on whether the Rosenbergs were guilty or not. Uh, the problem is, once the Soviet Union fell, the archives got opened up and was shown that, yeah, they were totally spies. They were absolutely guilty of everything they got accused of. Yeah, I, I think I heard that like she was less guilty or not guilty, but that he, he totally was guilty. I don't know. I'm fascinated that both this and Angels in America, which part one debuted last year on stage, both have him being haunted by Ethel Rosenberg. Wow. I, and please watch the Angels. Al Pacino playing Roy Cohn dying of AIDS and yelling at nothing is just wonderful. It's a great, <laughs> great performance. Uh, this, I don't, I don't, I don't know. James Woods. What the fuck? American <laughs> sweetheart. How could you? Yeah. Uh, and then moving on to games of 1992, we got Felix the Cat. A pretty great Hudson game. I am shocked how many absolute bangers the 1992 NES released because this is another one of those games where if this had been released five years earlier or four years earlier, maybe even three years earlier, we would still be talking about it I, today. I think that was the goal. There was kind of a foreign-produced Felix the Cat movie on which I believe this is based, and then a TV show based on that movie made even later, but they're so spread out. I don't know why this is releasing now, but it has nothing to fall back on other than people's awareness of the Felix the Cat IP. But Which I don't think existed in 1992. I was a child in <laughs> 1992, and I saw him on Nintendo Power, and I was like, who is this guy? I've never heard of this I, guy. I knew who he was, but the, the magic bag of tricks thing is like, Something that was given to him in the 80s, the yellow magic bag that is part of your powers in this game. He got that then and is, I don't think, public domain at this point, even though some of his cartoons are. Like Felix the Cat's cartoons, they're underrated, but very, way older than you think they are. Also <laughs> uh, also out this week, Prince of Persia NES. 
Um, not a good port. There have been port. 30 different ports of Prince of Persia. Indeed. I can't imagine why you'd play this one. I don't think Prince of Persia is the most ported game of all time. Pretty sure that's Tetris, but this has got to be close. Tetris that's or, a lot of ports. Like, fucking Dragon's Lair or something like that, because you can play it on a DVD player. It <laughs> came out on HD DVD, for fuck's sake. But let's go on to music of 1992. To close out our 92 segment, End of the Road by Boys to Men is still number one. Thanks to that Boomerang soundtrack. We also have new releases. Bobby! Bobby by Bobby Brown. That's how you pronounce it. You're supposed to pronounce it like <laughs> Hank Hill. Uh, Dog Eat Dog by Warrant. Is this the 80s or not? But am I going to buy a Warrant <laughs> album or a Bobby Brown album? Return of the Product by MC Search. Soul of a New Machine by Fear Factory. Sweet Old World by Lucinda Williams. And the self-titled debut of The Wallflowers. Uh, and Eric Clapton Unplugged, which mm-hmm. was... was we shockingly is like part of a soundtrack a pr- promotion of that movie Rush that we talked about months ago so this finally comes yeah. out as an album I guess the single they let it, Tears in Heaven was a single Tears in Heaven was a single mm-hmm. and then to promote the single he went on Unplugged mm-hmm. and now that's coming out as a CD that you can endlessly play in your car yes it'll become one of the highest a Ford Aerostar with a CD player in it, and you have three CDs, <laughs> Mom. Uh, we will close up this segment with uh, Layla, big hit off that album, which will become, I think, one of the best-selling albums of the entire 90s. Oh, uh, fuck yeah. Eric Clapton's it's Unplugged. But massive. Don't move. We have plenty more to talk about in 2002. It's coming up right now. Layla, got me on my2002 with Feel It Boy by Beanie Man featuring Janet Jackson off of Tropical Storm. It is out this week. Welcome to 2002, August 19th to the 25th. Other new music releases this week include Welcome to Discovery Park by Brad. Oh, Brad can do no wrong. X by Def, Le- Def Leppard. Uh, Turn on the Bright Lights by Interpol. Two albums by Frank Black and the Catholics. Better Letter Days uh, and Devil's Workshop. Blacklisted by Nico Case. Disclaimer by Seether. Uh, if It Was You by Tegan and Sarah. Kill the Moonlight by Spoon. One Beat by Slater Kinney is also out this week. Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland is still number one. Welcome to 2002, everyone. How's that for music? A good smattering. Woo. Good smattering. Uh, a little bit it's of just new- smattering. Maybe is this why Tegan and Sarah and Slater Kenny are the same band in my mind? <laughs> the, the rise of Interpol it, that defines early two thousand music for me. <laughs> and uh, what? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt the podcast. But oh. we were just talking about Das Boot. Oh wow! And I, oh, once again, Wolfgang my Peterson. fucking Wolfgang Peterson dies in the middle of this recording. I am cursed. I gotta stop this. Ugh. Just... Oh, I cannot wait to talk about it in the line of fire. Oh my god! Mm. That's next year, right? Yeah. Which version of Das Boot have you seen? Have you seen the like ridiculously long one? Uh, during our classic corner show, we tr- we watched the whole one. Realizing, oh, it's impossible to watch all the movies for this in 302010, especially when you have a movie like Das Boot that's four and a half hours long. It was yeah. a guy, it was the miniseries version, basically the full uncut version. It, it, I, yeah. I, 
I really want to watch the original uncut version, but I haven't yet. It's fantastic. But... Director's cut is really good too. Mm-hmm. It kind of it really just takes all the best parts and brings it down to like two and a half. And yeah, theatrical eh. And back in back in back in the thirty twenty ten the news back in two thousand two two thousand two a group of Iraqis opposed to the regime of Saddam Hussein take over the Iraqi embassy in Berlin for five hours before releasing their hostages and surrendering. That just sounds fun. Was anybody hurt? Mm, No, I don't think so. They released it and, you know, made everyone think that Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. No one else thought that before they took the uh, embassy hostage. Wow. And uh, I thought this was fun. This week, Sony announces the end to the Betamax format. (laughs) And what? I, I know I if, am shocked. If you were alive in 2002 and buying DVDs, you're like, oh, what the fizzle? But like my involvement in the media industry was like 06 and people were still sending out Betamax to like newsrooms uh, and press outlets. Betamax yeah. was still going out. They were the superior format. And uh, yeah, my father always brought that up to me as investing advice. He always said, just because it's the superior product doesn't mean you should invest in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, newsrooms, they kept using Betamax for so long. Very long time. Yeah, a media thing that didn't fit anywhere else, but I thought was funny, and I went down the rabbit hole on it. Opie and Anthony. Anybody ever listen to Opie and Anthony? Nope, uh, but I am aware of them. Yeah, they are. I am not aware of them. A big show coming out of New York, but syndicated all over the country, and they are fired. The, this is the week the stunt happens. They were subsequently fired for a radio stunt involving a couple having sex at St. Pat- Patrick's Cathedral. I oh, believe they were running a contest to have sex live on the air at different places and get points as part of a contest. And it, they were fired and kept off the air for years as a result. And it may have... I, I was looking... I started looking into FCC fines and radio fines. And hmm. Howard Cern has a ton of radio fines, but they're all for different things. This might be the single largest fine for indecency that's ever been posed. Because I think eventually Viacom settles out for $3.5 million for this radio stunt. Wow. Yes. Cataclysmic morning zoo radio stunt uh, that was the end of Opie. And- well, I think they, they went over to Satellite after that. That was one of yeah. Satellite's big things. Yes. Opie and Anthony are no more on terrestrial airwaves as of 20 years ago. Um, what were they thinking? I mean, I know what they were thinking. It's funny they're fucking. But... I mean, it if you remember the the climate of morning radio back in the day, outrageous was fine. I think there was definitely a general trend over yeah, the last of things getting more and more extreme. More yeah. and more things led on air. In a 2002 context, I'm sure they were thinking, actually, oh, this will be fine. That Everyone, is, everything's going to get more and more loose from here that on out. Yeah. That is, There's that, certain words, as long as we don't say his dick is going into her pussy right now. <laughs> that we is, just used euphemisms. Lots and lots of euphemisms. That is the context here. Opie and Anthony were fired and their ratings were so high immediately people came courting and their company decided it was in their best interest, not unlike the talk show wars of the Leno era to pay them to stay off the air, to not go to a competitor and draw ratings over there. So they were their Their contracts, I think according to the article I read were paid out in full for years, even though they were never, they were not allowed on airwaves just to (laughs) not give them the competition. That's, how much people sought after controversy on the radio. It's just very bizarre compared to today. 2002 movies, Signs moves back into the number one box office slot, which can't be a good sign for our crop of new films. I, I think our <laughs> highest ranking on the box office charts this week enters at number six. 
Wow. It's Ouch. it's a it's a weak weak pack, guys. But there uh, there's there's some brighter spots in it. But I said to Jr. off mic, this might be the weakest crop of movies of any segment of thirty twenty ten I've ever looked at. But keep listening. But we keep will listening. Make boring, interesting. We promise yeah. you. Because there's an incredibly interesting film in the next segment. Holy Lord. We also yeah. have, we have this week Sigourney Weaver and B.B. Newworth in Tadpole. What? <laughs> oh, you want to talk about movies that will not get made today? I'm kind of amazed this got made in 2002. Yeah. Because this is about Aaron Stanford, who's a precocious 15-year-old who is I don't in love like with where his, this is going. Who is in love with his stepmother, Sigourney Weaver, wow. and starts an affair with her friend, B.B. Newworth. I don't know. I think this could get made today on Pornhub. There you go. Yeah. There you so, go. It's so weird because all the reviews are like, this is a sweet. It's a very, very, very tiny indie. You know, it's uh, it's a sweet coming of age story. It's, you know, like looking at the graduate from a different point of view and the performances are really strong. But I don't care how precocious nope. he is. He's 15. He's 15. Yeah. <laughs> graduate does not work if you gender swap it. It doesn't. Yeah. Just well, no, but he's graduated from college. Right. He's a grown-ass okay. man. As, as a yeah. single person, can I put that out? It, ladies, if you're desperate enough to sleep with a 15-year-old, I am single and totally <laughs> yeah. legal. Totally yeah, we, legal. We talked about this a lot when we were talking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 15-year-old boys, no skills. Yeah, no skills. Yeah. yeah. No skills. No skills. <laughs> Messy, stinky. Got to keep feeding them. Oh, uh, it's don't, a mess. Don't. No. Nuh-uh. No. It's a mess. No. Uh, and so, Tadpole, please let us this... know in the comments. Tadpole. <laughs> because I don't want to be on the list. I ain't <laughs> the, on, the only movie I wish I had watched because... No, you don't. Uh, well, you watched it and the, you don't. The person, <laughs> the person who made it has made it just a ton of interesting films. Very true. And, uh, and look at this cast. Jason Schwartzman, Winona Ryder, Rachel uh, Roberts, Evan Rachel Wood, Jay Moore, Pruitt Taylor Vince, Catherine Keener, and Al Pacino. And Simone. She's beautiful. She's talented. Why are we here? She's virtually perfect. The star is digitized. Are you ever going to tell the truth about me? I'm going to tell the truth about you after your next picture. <laughs> it just seems like a great concept, but so yeah. silly with the most miscast person. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Uh, this is one that could be remade because it's a really good concept. Written and directed by Andrew Nichol, who also did Gattaca. Uh, Roe Truman War, Show. Roe like, Truman Show. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> it is god-awful. This it's is a awful. stupid, stupid film. I watched it at double speed, and it was still slow. This <laughs> is not a film worth viewing in any way, shape, or form. And I 100% know the pitch meaning. In a 2002 context, someone was looking at the 2001 episode uh, issue of Maxim Magazine, which had the Final Fantasy CGI character voted as the 40th sexiest woman despite not being real. Mm. Huh. Which Final Fantasy? was a thing. Yeah, it was it was uh, the Final Fantasy, the Spirits Within. They made oh, one of the, oh right, the, yeah, yeah. The, I'm sure that was a genuine vote. And they put her in Maxim magazine to I see remember, if like yes. people would spot that this was fake or not. And someone went, "That's it. That's my movie." And the movie is so dull, so stupid. You could do a lot with this totally. if you didn't make it into this like mystery of like, ooh, he's trying to hide the fact that she's real. The more interesting story is, hey. 
I made a fake movie star. Yeah. What are you going to do about it, world? Yeah, and then whoever, yeah. who is, like, if someone uh, controlling the fake movie star gets all full QAnon, and so does this movie star. Interesting concept. This, yeah, there's a lot of directions so to go with this. Yeah, no, the idea is, yes, Al Pacino is some sort of, uh, he's a director. Yeah, he's and, a director. And works with a guy to create a virtual actress and doesn't tell anyone that she's virtual, and she becomes a huge star. Right. All right. Yes, there's a lot of satire you could do here of like, well, everything in movies are computer generated now. Why do we even bother with human Movie actors? Stars. Jack Nicholson yeah. doesn't do any promotion, so she's not going to any talk shows either. Makes yep. total sense. No. Yeah, it's just there's yes, there are things you could do with this and mm-hmm. they they don't they don't do any of it. It's just lots of nope. him just trying to trick people in ways that seem like kind of obvious like well, the press would dig into those. Yeah. She's she's I mean, now TM, one of the most TMZ famous... is ripping this story up, man. Yeah. She's now one of the most famous actresses in the planet. Everyone wants to know her. Yeah. Yeah, you you you'd, you'd get discovered in like a day and a half. Yeah. yeah. And let alone exactly. all, all the YouTube channels tearing apart like fake effects. This is terrible. I could do the Mandalorian better than this. No, no Simone or Sim1 as it's spelled out. It's, it's pretty You can stupid. see you can see better face swaps of Al Pacino and Bill Hader on YouTube right now. <laughs> uh, and then a, a, a movie, oh man, uh, that is obviously not for me, but I can see it finding an audience. Really? Because it's by one of your favorite filmmakers? I know. I didn't find that out until like my last minute research. Ah. One of the last Walter Hill movies with with like half the cast is goddamn No Limit People. Not Ed Lover, yeah. but... They they only have a brief moment in the movie, but I wanted to put them in here as basically the rap act that is super popular within this prison is played by Master P, Silk the Shocker, and Sea Murder. Sea Murder. By the time this movie came out, Sea Murder was in jail. Yes. For murder. And, and No Limit had dropped, and Cash Money produces the soundtrack, which yeah. is like the next No Limit uh, label. Ed Lover is really good as an MC in this, and I kind of wish he Miss were Ed in Lover. more movies. Me too. I really like Ed Lover in this. Anyway, back F- to uh, Fisher Stevens, times. Uh, West dude, John Seda, Michael Rooker, Peter Falk, and uh, Ving Rhames and Wesley Snipes in Undisputed. Now, the heavyweight champion from the inside. In here, I'm the champ. We'll meet the heavyweight champion from the outside. Nobody can stand up to what I get. We got the heavyweight champion of the world and an unbeaten prospect. Quit wasting time. Shut the thing up. The boy came up to me and said that if I fight some punk in here, he can maybe get me out quick. You're a good, we got it. Are you sure Peter Falk is in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Undisputed, it is based on what happened to Mike Tyson. Uh, Apparently the co-writer was literally having lunch with Mike Tyson and thought, you know, it is kind of an interesting question of what happens when the heavyweight champion of the world goes into prison? What is his life like in there? And hey, what if, like, there's a lot of prison boxing programs. What if there was this amazing fighter who was only in prison? Who, Who is the champ? Like, what happens if they fight what if what if the world's best fighter is in prison and will never know it because he can't get out of prison to fight anybody in his league i i've seen multiple penitentiary movies i'm talking about the title penitentiary about the boxing in prison and so i didn't feel the need to watch this (laughs) so i mean it's pretty good it's i i was kind of surprised it's directed by walter hill because there's a lot of flashy things that made me think of any given sunday that Mm -hmm. was like this is a bit 2002 this directing because walter hill you did the warriors and we love you and it could have used like five more minutes of character development because wesley snipes has like no character like we find out what everyone is in prison for and his was that he was an up-and-coming boxer who's california state champion caught his wife with another man beat him to death 
and oh, instead of getting manslaughter, got murder. But he doesn't really have a character, so we don't really know, like, should we root for him? And then Ving Rhames is the, you know, outside the prison world heavyweight champion. He is so good in this, though. He is legitimately menacing, and there is, like, it does try to go a little bit into, like, prison politics, and I would have liked more of it, of, like, oh, well, he's a famous person, so everyone wants to be his buddy. Or... Is everyone want to take his yeah. ass down because that will give them cred? It's just a yeah. dilemma. Yeah, it's it's a good dilemma. And then Peter Falk is in there, reminding me so much of my grandfather because my grandfather <laughs> was also a very old oh, guy oh. who loved boxing very very much. Oh. He's playing Meyer Lansky's former right hand man, is you know an old old gangster who has so much pull that he can set up like a big fight and like mobsters can come into the prison and like the warden goes on vacation of just like I don't want to know about this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was okay. It could, there's a lot of places where it could have been better, but I, I think Ving Rhames in particular, his performance is so good. I think boxing movies tend to make the best sports movies because it's a team of one that you're yeah. usually showing. Yeah. And I, I can see why this eventually found an audience enough to where there are four straight to video sequels. Four. Four, four straight to video sequels. Yeah. Where they, <laughs> they transition who the main character is. Uh, to, um, yeah, well, next is Michael Jai White in the Ving Rhames part, and then it becomes, uh, what's his name, Scott Atkins, who becomes a character in the second one. He becomes the main character in the third and fourth one. Ooh, I like it. This guy just, yeah, this guy just keeps going into prison. <laughs> also, though, as a boxing fan, Wesley Snipes and Ving Rhames are like 40 pounds apart. Yeah, I was going to say their size difference is quite apparent. Yeah, and it's a good fight. I mean, the fighting is all done pretty well, and they make a big deal of, like, we're not actually going to do Queensbury rules. We're going to do, like, this old-school bare-knuckle boxing rules where they're actually wearing the really light gloves, and there's, like, no rounds. It just kind of keeps going. Oh, savage, like, then. Yeah, like, okay. Unregulated boxing. The fun thing I read about it is that, like, they had to, there was a sequence where they just, all right, improv for a little bit, and, like, a hush falls over the crew, and, like, <laughs> shit, are Wesley Snipes and Ving Rhames about to, like, really throw <laughs> off-the-cuff mm. licks at each other? Shit. Who, who could, it, it was a genuine yeah. question on the crew, who could win in a, a mm. real fight? It's, I, I don't know. It's tough. Things got the size. Wesley has the, the training. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm it's, pretty sure it's, it's Wesley. <laughs> probably do it. Big Rame is yeah, a no, un big Undisputed. Guy. It's like, it's a light recommend, especially if you like uh, boxing or prison movies. It combines the two pretty well. Mm. And, yeah. Uh, Way bigger recommend than the next movie, which was Holy trash. shit. How is <laughs> this? The week is that bad. This is the most notable movie out. Uh, At number six. At number six. Marshall Bell, Jerry Stiller, Terry Crews, Amy Adams, Cedric the Entertainer, Vincent Pastor, Bruce Campbell. Oh, I Elizabeth, love these people. Elizabeth yeah. Hurley, Matt Perry in Serving Sarah. That's me, Joe the Process Server. You're hereby served to appear as a witness in a trial of Freddie Marcuse. And you, eat something. What? You don't fit in. I work with a couple of real sweethearts. I want you to be more like Tony. That's impossible. I walk upright. Hey, ladies. Oh. You have a job for me or not. I've got an important assignment out of Texas. Don't mess this up. Sarah Moore, you are being sued by your business partner for half your asset. There must be some mistake. That's what they all say. I did it. You owe me five grand. You are genius. Jesus, what type of movie? What type of movie? Uh, There's a lot of them this week. Stupid, stupid movie. So, <laughs> so stupid. the fundamental problem is that without a super supporting cast, being around Chandler Bing for 90 minutes is super annoying. Mm -hmm. He is not someone you want to hang out with. 
for 90 minutes. Yeah. Unless he and has like I, a fantastic crew backing him up. And if he's going to be chasing Bruce Campbell around, I want Bruce to stop running and just turn and beat on him. Yeah. I love you, yeah. Bruce Campbell. Sure. And Terry Crews and Jerry Stiller. I love these people. What are you doing? Vincent Pastore. Just, just sit on him. Oh, this was peak like Sopranos casting. You know, mm -hmm. Vincent Pastore was one of the first people to get killed on the Sopranos. Right. Sorry. So he's available. <laughs> he's available yeah. to be in like tons of movies as, hey, I'm your gangster guy. Mm -hmm. Remember? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know what? Uh, a similar movie that is a lot better, even though a lot of people shit on it. Uh, about a year from now, we'll talk about Intolerable Cruelty. Okay, yeah. Now, a lot of Coen Brothers fans really don't like that one, but that is taking the vibe of this one, but making it actually fun. And I would recommend it 100,000 times over Serving Sarah. I was so bored. Yep. By what's really a road movie about chasing people. It should be fun. Yeah, again, Delivery Guys. We got Delivery Guys. I know. The Delivery Guys, Midnight Runnish horseshit and a. Yeah, they wish they were Midnight Run so fucking hard. Yeah, but I mean, I just multiple movies this week are reminding me of Midnight Run. This is like the third yeah. one. Please go watch that. Uh, that movie's Rapid Fire has a Chicago mobster named Serrano. So does Midnight Run because he's played by Dennis mm. Farina. Serrano's got the disc. Mm. Serving Sarah. Why Would you get to... some milk? <laughs> Why bother to talk about it anymore? Uh, no, everyone's forgotten it exists. Fuck this movie. We have talked more about it in this <laughs> short, short segment than anyone has in 19 years. I guarantee you. Yeah. A... When, when Matthew Perry, you know, bless him, does pass away, this will not be in the montage. Yeah, four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, maybe the lowest of the week. Oh uh, fuck! Television of 2002, uh, August 19th to the 25th, we got Galador, Defenders of the Outer Dimension. It ends this week. Goodbye, yep. Galador. What? Teenagers are trying to free the Outer Dimension from the evil oppressor, Gorm. 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 Not Norm, Gorm. Gorm. Not Gorn. Gorm. Gorm. Oh, got it. But I like the Gorn. He fights Shatner. <laughs> and also this week, uh, Nickelodeon Robot Wars debuts. What is it with every channel trying a goddamn BattleBots? It's BattleBots for kids, but what about BattleBots made yeah. it so that kids couldn't watch that? I, I'm, um, I Maybe it was just that the adults were involved and the kids were the ones making the robots here. And it is. It, yeah, that it, is. But I don't see why a kid couldn't just watch BattleBots. But a kid yeah. couldn't be I, in BattleBots. Would, would encourage kids to play with radial arm saws too much, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. That's true. They, they do spit a lot of fire, quite literally. But yeah, Nickelodeon Robot Wars. Almost every fucking channel threw its hat in the ring of goddamn robots fighting, and it's always kind of a letdown. Yeah, the thing that spins the fastest usually wins. There you go. Mm. And then we have a TV movie out this week. Star-studded cast. Teresa Wong, James Whitmore, Soren Fulton, Scarlett Palmer's Jerry... I haven't heard of any of these people other than Misha Barton. Uh, the Ring of Endless Light is out. Jared Padalecki you've heard of. He's a real. Who's he? He's in stuff. There you go. All right. <laughs> Point thing. taken. All right. So uh, Wait, during the yeah. summer. I'm as... thinking of something. Give me a second. Okay. What is he in that you would know? Gilmore Girls. Ah, because hmm. I would know that. You're thinking of serving Sarah of It's Me, Sarah fame, who's having a birthday soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dude, yeah. Gilmore Girls, you, you shouldn't sleep on it thinking it's because it's got girls oh, in the no. it's only for girls. Some of the best dialogue I've ever heard. It's great. Oh, no. This, this week anyway, was all 30, 2010 and Better Call Saul. Yeah. So the plot of this is during the summer as her grandfather is dying of leukemia and death seems all around her. Uh, Fifteen-year-old Vicky finds comfort with a pod of dolphins. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a novel by Madeline Langle who did Wrinkle in Time. 
is a Disney Channel film. An ordinary girl discovers an extraordinary gift. What just happened? I told him to do a flip. Dude, those are the worst CG dolphins I have ever seen. <laughs> you must watch this clip just for that. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. Is, is that like era one of iPhone apps technology uh, putting dolphins and stuff? Holy Lord. You know what? I want to. I, I tried to manufacture it. I'm going to go for it just because our TV's light. Last month, uh, South Park's mid-season concluded with the uh, Mongolian episode. Very funny. But I just wanted to plug oh, that, God. that South Park 25th anniversary concert. In terms of what we talk about, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. If you want to see Butters singing with Primus and Ween and... Uh, <laughs> I do now. And uh, uh, like all your favorite South Park songs, they show the evolution of the theme with Primus on stage. Rush does a special appearance. Really rewarding if you... I've fallen off South Park for, for like years at a time. It was so it was so cool. Such a cool thing to get to see. Uh, I nice. keep, there are so many shows I keep meaning to like go through and pull out the best ones, mm-hmm. um, or at least the most interesting ones. And South Park, I think it's because we had It's Me Sarah on here, and she hates South Park that right. I just skipped it. But is it the Mongolians episode? I mean. The guy who works at Shitty Walk is yes. so offensive, and they've, yes. re- they've retconned him to make him less offensive, but somehow more offensive. Right. That he, he's not he Asian? Had, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not an Asian guy. He just talks like the worst stereotype imaginable. But the idea of that one has always cracked me up of like, yeah, we have to protect the children from molesters, so let's build a wall. Well, the only guy who knows how to build a wall around here is uh, the, let's ask the Chinese guy because they, they're good at building walls. And it turns out, A, they were right. He can build a wall in a night. And B, the second a Chinese guy builds a wall, a bunch of Mongolians show up. Any time <laughs> in any conversation, someone says Mongolian, Mongol or Mongolian, I just, goddamn Mongolian. I just, Mongolian. don't say it out loud. I just whisper it to myself because it's all I can think of. Yeah. Yeah, actually, speaking of retconning, I don't know if you know uh, how Token got retconned. I do. It's yes. hilarious. Oh, that is hilarious. I love <laughs> that, that so me, much. That actually makes me really happy that his name is not actually Token. This no, whole and everybody had it time. wrong, and you're racist for thinking that. It's such a... Yep. It's <laughs> that, that show 25 has... 25 years, Token has not had that name. I roll my eyes at plenty of South Park episodes, but every once in a while, they pull out something that is so brilliant and funny, and that is one of them from their recent seasons. And they're... Paramount plus vaccination COVID movies have been really, really fun. So Mm. pulling that out there, very few reasons to subscribe to Paramount plus otherwise. Mm. Games of 2002, the thing it's on it's on the windows it's on pc now it's not it's not yeah. just the dreamcast what kind the thing? of thing are we talking talking it's the, based on, is a thing. on the we talking uh, the ever-loving thing yeah the thing. no no not the ever-loving thing not uh, oh. <laughs> 1982 john carpenter the thing yeah yeah not yep. the thing ring that does its thing so 20 years after the film people are actually going you know what this thing is actually good. We should have some merchandise on it. Yep. It's a good game. Yeah, it's a good game. It has a trust system, which is very nice because you've got a squad of uh, bots with you. And if you think one of them is the thing, you can train a gun on them. But that's going to make the rest of the squad not trust you. As your squad gets infected, uh, they may turn a gun on themselves or run away or have a heart attack. There, there's a lot of things they're playing around with in this thing. Right. And uh, McCreary makes a cameo at the very end of this game. 
Yes. Huh. This is so a, this, is this is this like a prequel, like the more nope, recent sequel. thing where it takes it place? It is a sequel. Oh, okay. You yeah. come to the Antarctic base and are trying to discover what's going on. Yes. Okay. And I believe it's a port of huh. uh, what was already on Dreamcast and PS2. Actually, you know, speaking of Wolfgang Peterson, RIP with Das Boot, which just means the boat. Mm-hmm. I literally yesterday just found out what the German title of the thing is. What? Das Ding. Dust. Dusting. 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 Uh, also out this week, Total Medieval Total War, another entry in the Total War series. I'm going to guess where its time period is. It's probably cavemen. Uh, yep, exactly. Lots of cavemen. <sighs> See, this this is a problem with the Total War series. Almost every time, the most recent version is the better version. Mm -hmm. And Medieval Total War 2 is considered one of the best Total War games of all time. Mm -hmm. So I can't think of any reason to play this over its sequels. The modding community for it was pretty intense. There's a lot of like uh, Lord of the Rings mods for it. So you can play that, I guess. Uh, and, And kind of... I love Super Monkey Ball, and Super Monkey Ball 2 is out on GameCube. This was like the height of Monkey Ball. Very well-reviewed, big seller. They Most of the Monkey Ball games would be kind of the same, or mini-game compilations, but this is when me and my friends were obsessed with it. Monkey Ball is great, great music. Tilt, you tilt the world, not the ball. So it's not yeah. Marble Madness. You're a little monkey yeah. in a ball, and it has great multiplayer mini-games, and because it's exclusive on GameCube, a lot of us were able to play Four player. I, I remember we would go to the beach and bring our GameCube and play Monkey Ball, get drunk, play Monkey Ball uh, multiplayer all fucking night. Love Monkey yeah. Ball too. See, uh, I lived in Japan when the GameCube came out, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a Japanese PlayStation 2. And for my entire time there, I debated myself about whether I should buy a Japanese GameCube. And I never pulled the trigger, but I kept seeing like Super Monkey Ball being on like the display screen at my electronics store. And I was like, maybe I should get this, maybe. And I never pulled the trigger. And I played it for the first time recently, and I feel its time has passed. Like I can I can understand in a 2002 context of being like, this is amazing. This is great. These graphics are blowing me away. In 2022, it seems like a really cool arcade game that would be fun to have home, but it debuted on consoles. It did have an arcade game because my buddy Adam of the Padukan podcast has the Monkey Ball banana controller, which is so phallic as Joey (laughs) Six Go. But it was also so colorful. The music was great. And it was like 60 frames a second before console gamers were caring about those things. And it it just looked impressive. And it's hard for that to look impressive nowadays with how many similar games you have. Little little mini missions. Anyway, that wraps up our 2002 segment. We're going to close out with Time Running by Tegan and Sarah. But do not move. We got to talk about my favorite movie of the entire show right after this. I could see you 10 or 12 times a day I think it's best we do it your therapist way I got my hair long in a wavy coat, yeah I get so lovesick, my sad thoughts flow for time You got me running Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of August 19th through 25th, we got some 50th anniversaries to talk about. 
Sorry, 1982. We're, we're taking a break. It's we, we moved kind of out of summer. We got to talk about 50 years ago because 1972 has some banger movies. Let's start with the easiest recommend. And boy, I don't say that lightly. Uh, Deliverance comes out in August 1972. The John Borman film starring John Foyt, Burt Reynolds, Ned Beatty with, uh, yeah, one of the most disturbing scenes of sexual assault in, in film. So massive trigger warning on that, but you probably already knew that. You probably think that's what the movie's about, and it is not. It is about city folk versus nature, and in this case, nature is accompanied by local hillbilly types who don't like rich folks coming onto their land and just, like, treating them as a vacation spot and not recognizing the people live here. And this whole valley's about to get flooded because of a dam project, and these guys go on this whitewater rafting trip. Ignoring the people that live there, and soon they are the most dangerous game. Really tense, really great acting, really good movie. I definitely recommend Deliverance, but obviously, big old trigger warning. I'll also threw a trigger warning on, also turning 50 this week, Blackula, because we're right in the middle of uh, the black exploitation is kicking off with William Marshall, who I feel bad for because he was a classically trained actor and he was supposed to be a great stage actor, but here he's just, he's being Dracula, but he black. And the movie treats women especially poorly. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I've done black exploitation marathons and this is one that's kind of more important than good. But I, I got to mention it at least. And then, oh boy, this, this makes me so sad. We were just talking about Brandon Lee and this is, you know, his last non-posthumous movie coming out in 1992 and we have the same situation in 1972 with his father the way of the dragon comes out 1972 and that is his last film that he starred in plus directed and wrote and did all the action choreography for before he passed away so it's the way of the dragon it's also known as return of the dragon because it got released in the u.s after enter the dragon which was released right after he died like a week after he died his most famous movie comes out so the Way of the Dragon, yeah, definitely one of the best, is the screen debut of a little student of his named Chuck Norris. And young Chuck Norris can fucking move. God damn, I wish he wasn't such a jerk, because back in the day, he had some major skills. So yeah, Way of the Dragon slash Return of the Dragon. There's, there's a lot to dig into with Bruce Lee, even though his actual filmography is kind of small, but then there's a lot of Bruce Lee alikes, and then there's a lot of like things that he choreographed, but it wasn't in. And then there's, you know, stuff where they use a little bit of footage from him, but then it mostly stars some other guy who kind of looks like him. So you definitely weigh the dragon slash return of the dragon for the pure uncut Bruce Lee-ness. Uh, turns 50 this week, so rad. Anyway, that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2012 with Whistle by Flo Rida. It's number one this week. This week being August 19th to the 25th. Other new music releases in 2012 include four by Block Party. Uh, Hot Cakes by The Darkness, Kiss the Ring by DJ Khaled, Musa by Ivy Queen, Last of a Dying Breed, the 14th and most recent album by Leonard Skinner, Chapter 5 by Trey Songs, Havoc in the Bright Lights by Alanis Morissette, and Aura, the debut of Rita Aura, uh, is out this week. Welcome, new musicians, <laughs> to 302010. Welcome, <laughs> listeners. I was, I was None reading... of them except for Rita Aura and DJ Khaled really tip you off. It's 2012. <laughs> 
yeah, maybe block party. I, I saw the darkness somewhere around here at, at a huge venue, yeah. which I don't think they would play nowadays. I love uh, the darkness. And I was I was reading the news segment uh, a little early. News of 2012. Russia and Vanuatu become members of the World Trade Organization. I'm sure we won't regret that. Problem uh, Yeah, Vanuatu, you are trouble. Yeah, can't trust those Vanatuas. <laughs> and then let's get into movies of 2012, because, man, there's some highlights here. The Expendables mm-hmm. 2 is number one at the box office. I believe JR said the best of The Expendables is part yep. two. I stand by that. Compliance is out with Ann Dowd, Dream of Walker, Pat Healy, Bill Camp, Ashley Atkinson, and Philip Ettinger. I, I do not know the compliance. <laughs> Jay and our, oh. JR and I both went, ooh. Wow, wow. Sucking in air through my teeth. This is this, one of the hardest to watch movies. And it is, I think they did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. And then you find out, oh, this is almost exactly what happened in real life to a person they tone it down yeah they make it less bad for this movie normally movie based on a true story they hype it up they make it bigger and more exciting this one i think they went like "Ooh, we we need to tone this down yeah tone what down well it starts with going back to 1992 it starts mm-hmm. the first of something like 70 phone calls around the country by a guy claiming to be a cop calling fast food restaurants, mostly in rural areas, saying, uh, we have report that one of your people's been stealing and I'm going to need you to strip search them. And a lot of people went along with that sort of thing wow. because an authority is telling him to do something. They say, I'm on the phone with your manager right now. I got him on the other line. And. Yeah, would describe someone who worked there in vague sense, and sooner or later they'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like uh, Becky. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely Becky, and you need to search her pockets. No, she's probably hiding in her underwear. You, you need to uh, get, make her get undressed. And that was just this creeps fucking thing That's... for decades. Yeah. And this is about a specific instance that is thank God, is kind of the end of his little reign of terror. But the whole thing is so fucking horrible. Where, yeah, yeah, it's about a guy claiming to be a cop. He calls this restaurant. He gets Ann Dowd, who's an amazing actress, a.k.a. Aunt Lydia on Handmaid's Tale, who's like the manager and has her, you know, first you got a searcher, then you got a strip searcher, and then like brings her fiancé in to help because mm-hmm. she's got to run the restaurant. Right. And then he convinces yeah. her fiance to go even further in real life. Well, I'm not going to talk. The real life stuff is, is you can find it and it's pretty bad. You can also uh, find, yeah. I don't know, 2020 did an episode of this and they show a video of it actually happening. Jesus. And honestly, yeah. that video should be scrubbed because you're just watching a, a sexual Violet. assault, a yeah. real life one. Yeah. And it's... yeah, this is all caught on security cameras over hours. It's really it's meaningful though i mean it's it really is a thought provoker of like how easy it is to get people to do something if you they think you're an authority figure Mm -hmm. i mean it's i was gonna say it's very easy to read about this or watch this film and go well i would never certainly Mm. do this but there's all these psychological experiments that show yeah the majority of people probably would go pretty damn far if they think some dude in a coat is telling them to do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Milgram experiment. That's the one I'm thinking of. The one where they ordered people to shock someone unseen in another room. And uh, Yep. And uh, there's another one where they had nurses who have been on the job for like 20 years are ordered to give a overdose of medicine to patients. A doctor they've never met before over the phone. Mm-hmm. And most of them did it. 
Oof. Yeah, and that's professional nurses trained to not do that. And but yeah. I, I'm doctor so and so. I'm telling you to do this, but it says I'm telling you to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, wish. Yeah, but yeah. This is this is torture porn. Mm -hmm. This is a torture film. I mean, yeah. like uh, it, it's. Yeah, why, why make a movie? Would you out call? Of this? Well, I think because... it should have been a movie. Honestly, this is yeah. a story. The more widespread this is, the more people will be aware of any scams of its future. One thing the film does bad is they end with the perpetrator talking to the police, and you think, "Oh, he's going to jail." No. He didn't go to jail. They tried to prosecute him. They had no evidence. He went free. And then mysteriously, these events stopped after he was not yeah. convicted, but was still talked to by the police. So yeah. at least they stopped. But he didn't suffer any real punishment for doing this. Mm. No. I mean, he had to go through a trial, which yeah. that sucks. That's, that's they the, just didn't have great evidence on him. They had him buying phone cards. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. not that much. But yeah, compliance. I think yeah, you can call it watch, a real-life but horror film yes absolutely yeah. it is definitely a horror film um uncomfortable yeah very uncomfortable i do feel like i have to recommend it just because it's very very thought-provoking it is something mm -hmm. like people it turns out it's not that hard to get people to do things that are bad yeah. and i think anything that helps to remind us of that fact is good yeah. no matter what like your politics or your religious beliefs just like there's always going to be someone who's trying to get you to do something Mm -hmm. that you should not be doing and uh yeah compliance uh, is a lesson in that god it's such a creepy story it's so fucking creepy anyway let's talk about a movie i was looking forward to watching this week and now i regret having <laughs> even heard of it <laughs> uh well I, I call it the uh beginning of robert pattinson's interesting choices that dude has yes not yes. made simple fucking uh, role choices and start is maybe starting with this one paul giamani samantha morton kevin durand uh jay burchell uh, Mattel, um, Amalric, uh, Sarah Gadden, Juliet, Juliet Binoche, and Robert Pattinson in Cosmopolis, a Cronenberg joint. Okay, yeah, it's a Cronenberg movie adapted from the Don DeLillo book. It's the first Cronenberg screenplay since Existence, I think. So it's been Great a while. Movie. Great movie. Weird movie. I prefer it to this, honestly. Where Robert Pattinson is a billionaire tech genius of some kind who basically lives in his super limo and it's about him driving across town in the course of a day to go get a haircut and he takes meetings in the limo he gets a checkup a medical checkup every single day in the limo he meets up with his wife who he just married who's basically a stranger to him um they get you know married for dynastic reasons because that's yeah. the thing billionaires do yeah traffic's all fucked up because like the president's in town and then there's a threat on the president and there's like an anarchist protest yeah. which felt very timely i'm sure in 2012 because it's very occupy wall street even though yeah. the book is written well before that and um there's not a nice way to say limo. this he yeah. has sex in limo twice or no mm -hmm. once and then he goes to a hotel for another time i'm not sure why he even bothered to go to the hotel he's got the super limo sounds like a nice limo it is a very nice limo and mostly it's just people in the limo saying cryptic things about like human nature the future and technology mm -hmm. everyone speaks very cryptically and weird and then that's kind of it diana we are talking over the screen right now so are we even really talking mm. that's the type <laughs> of stuff people say in this film so if you yeah. want that, 
this is the film for you. And Robert Pattinson plays the most bored billionaire I've ever seen <laughs> in cinema. I mean, he is not Nothing an interesting makes him happy. character. I mean, there's one point when he is asking to be stunned by a stun gun. Now, I, I actually remember that mindset. Uh, I had a friend with a stun gun, and he was holding it up in front of me like, I'm going to stun you. And I went, you know what? Let's see. Go it. right ahead. And he didn't. He was like, okay, I'm, oh. I'm not actually going to stun you. And I was uh, at the time, at the time, I was like mildly disappointed because I was like, oh, I huh, guess I won't find I'm out. I'm just going to call like him out. Stunned. Sam did for me. So I, I got, yeah, I got him. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, he's, but, it's an experience he hasn't had before. So mm -hmm. he wants it. Yeah. But now that mindset I had uh, in like 22, where it's like, yeah, yeah, stun me. That mindset is alien to me. No, I cannot imagine being willing to like risk a stun gun just to see what it's like happening today. And I'm of two minds of that. On one side, I kind of think wisdom comes with age. And on the other side, I kind of think fatigue makes cowards of us all. Mm. So I, totally this, this is the part where I brag. This year, yeah. I took a half a clip of automatic BBs in the ass. Uh, <laughs> How was it? Uh, uh Painful once it got to portions of my jeans that were flush with my leg. But uh, uh, although, otherwise, no. not a thing. Not a big deal. All right. I was picturing you, but... No, naked. no, no, no. I don't want him going in. I, I wasn't inviting him in like Dracula's. Yeah, do they come in a tube? Because then you just loop it up. And... <laughs> yeah. No, Cosmopolis, uh, definitely, it's not a recommend. It is... No. It, I mean, it's like, theoretically, it's interesting. No, it's not. I mean, what? how do you keep directing inside a car and keeping it interesting? I'll, I'll give them that. Sounds but very Cronenberg, no. if you're a fan of this stuff. If you're a fan of Cronenberg, even, I would probably skip this because huh, it's not right. Cronenberg enough for you. The limo doesn't rip apart and have teeth that swallows its passengers or anything. <laughs> Look, I'm thinking more existence, scanners' heads exploding. This no, dude nothing like that. Limo. No. There's, no. No, not even, you know, of his non-horror stuff. It's it's not, you know, a history of violence or something. Where Like, that movie freaking rules. And this is... It would probably just be a lot better as a book, frankly. Because mm. it, it's a big pile of people talking about nothing and nothing happening. Mm. Sounds not, like it. Not... Interesting mental, but it does. Yeah, it does show Pattinson being very smart about his career. Of just, like, yeah, t taking a role where he plays a terrible person. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he just signed on because... It's a cool director who will yeah. do something interesting. So smart. And uh, also this week we have The Apparition with Ashley Green, Sebastian Stan, and Tom Felton. Worst Ooh. horror film of 2012. I'm Whoa. throwing that out there. Whoa. Ooh. I I saw like Fangoria magazine, I think said the same thing. Okay. Oh, I didn't see that review. Where, That's just where uh, horror, JR's horror. opinion. I think it was at their, their wow. year end too, where they could... Yeah. I thought I thought it couldn't really get worse than up. Serving Sarah. This is three uh, percent of Rotten Tomatoes, so far oh, our lowest of the show. Nothing oh, happens. This mm. stars the girl from Twilight and the Wait child so villain from Harry Potter, and it's boring. The whole movie is walking around aimlessly. The film and mm. the poster spoils the ending of the film. Ah, I name. mean the trailer does too, but to spoil your ending on the poster. How much contempt do you have for your audience? <laughs> yeah, at least Planet of the Apes waited a while till it, it needed did. e box. Didn't do it with its, its initial theatrical poster. 
Oh, okay. Um, apparition. That's a no. Apparition. Moving worst on. horror movie. Uh, all right. Uh, a movie many called the worst of the year I quite like. David Koechner, Bo Bridges, Kristen Shannon with Tom Arnold, Bradley Cooper, Kristen Bell, and Dax Shepard. And Dax Shepard's hit and run. Dax Shepard's a weird dude uh, who I, mm. I heard a couple interviews with. And he's married in real life to Kristen Bell. And he's a big fan of like car stuff. And he's like, I just wanted to make a Burt Reynolds, Hal Needham movie. And I'm into those. And I watch this and like, this is pretty fucking good. Like a low key, we're going to do all our own stunts. Some of which are, you know, not fast and the furious impressive, but they're like in camera stunts done by the actors, a bunch of people who give a shit about cars. And it has, he's also like this, Dax Shepard in real life and in this movie is like this toxic character who is talked into not using words and phrases and being a better person by his real life wife, Kristen Bell, who I think he said in an interview, like, no, she has to do that with me in real life, like getting me to stop saying the F word and shit like that. Like, I, I wouldn't be a good a person without her. So it's like, I thought the movie was really cool. A, a very cheap passion project. Bradley Cooper wanted to do it because a throwback to Hal Needham movies. It's not going to win any awards. It's not yeah. the most bold and different movie you could ever see, but like I haven't seen much else like it. Other than like Fast and the Furious isn't quite what I'm talking about when I talk about like cool old car movies because mm. uh, they involve flying, <laughs> driving to space, and super magnets. <laughs> but yeah, this is just a wheels in the dirt, run away from mobsters, car chase. Hal Needham, Burt Reynolds, car chase movie. Yeah, I I saw critics were generally negative except there were a couple that really liked it it seemed like ebert really liked it really i'm in league with ebert that almost never yeah happens. and everyone was like what and he's like yeah it's it's an old-fashioned car chasing movie like his biggest problem was the title hit and run yeah it's so generic you're gonna forget which movie we're talking about which yeah. is completely fair but he loved the idea that it's like oh no they're on the run from the mob but the girl he's on the run with has her doctorate in like non-violent arbitrary yeah. like uh in arbitration and like how to talk things out like that, that's her specialty so anytime is. violence is supposed to be the choice she she gets people to start talking about you know their problems my only caveat is i that believe is i saw it on a plane but it came off like a deeply personal throwback to dak shepherd who's kind of a more interesting guy than i gave him credit for i thought it was a, i thought it was really fun uh hit yeah. and run yeah. The problem with the Fast and Furious movies is not enough cars get launched and then crash. Yes. They actually, like, receive almost no damage ever <laughs> of any yeah, kind. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. Like, I want, if I want a car chase movie, at some point I want there to be a Blues Brothers-esque pileup. There you go. You will get that in <laughs> Hit and Run. I love those. You will get okay. that in Hit and Run. Because it's a cheapie. Dude. It's made super cheap. But, like, clearly the people who want to be involved are friends of Dak Shepard or, like, this, genre, this, you know, forgotten genre. I don't know what genre to call the next movie because it's hilarious and seems out of time and out of place and <laughs> i don't know why joseph gordon levitt is in this at the top of his career but holy god asif mandavi uh jamie chung Wooly parks uh dania ramirez michael shannon michael Shannon, ladies yes. and gentlemen joseph gordon levitt and premium rush wiley i got a package for you premium rush that's right that envelope, I gotta ask for it back. Once it goes in the bag, it's gotta stay in the bag. Hey! This year. Give me the envelope! What the hell am I carrying? Get ready. Wally! To ride like hell. Aren't you afraid you're gonna get killed? Premium Rush. Premium Rush was so... I, I thought I'd seen it before, but I don't remember being this entertained and mystified by it at the same time. It, it seems like one of those 80s movies, like after Rocky, every sport kind of got their, like 
movie or if you see the wizard, like we're going to make a movie about the whole world being in a Nintendo, the world of Nintendo. This is the world of bike messengers. And I'm <laughs> maybe that's it because I've, I've worked a lot of runner jobs and I'm biking through San Francisco when this comes out. I didn't know fixie culture was like a thing a mainstream oh, yeah. audience would recognize. Yeah. I mean, JR, uh, well, oh. They talk it up. There's an ad that is entirely explaining what a, a fixed gear bike is. That it, the idea that yeah, it's no stupid. brakes, no brakes, <laughs> no brakes, and no coasting. You got to brakes. They'd only slow me down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not just like a single gear bike like you you probably started on as a kid, but you can't even coast or slow yourself down unless you start kind of trying to pedal backwards. I, I couldn't. I've, I've ridden fixies and I've, uh, I don't get it Dude, and i dudes. suck on no. anything with gears i am a i am totally a, a single gear person and even on fixies i was like you just made this worse <laughs> but that, yeah. i have to admit that might have made the appeal for me i did get like a kind of a rush and thrill out of riding a bike in san francisco traffic i used to not mm-hmm. wear a helmet i <laughs> as i was last there didn't obey all the laws i should have and it becomes like a game he envisions in this silly overlay that is i like the silly overlay. me too okay. me too <laughs> i liked it because that to me is a great way of visualizing something that i've experienced when i too have ridden a bike and i've been like okay boom one second i go this way i crash i go that way i don't crash or i run over a baby carriage and i and the movie bothers to show the outcome <laughs> <laughs> but it's great it's a good visualization of what it's like to be i was uh, i was more i was more making decision. more making fun of it it has that 2012 glossy app font that like is like three <laughs> it's like 13 os's ago um that apple got rid of but it's just like stuck in that era which i still i love it's a time capsule but yeah i don't know what kind of movie to call it, it felt a lot like midnight run with the mm-hmm. bike messengers as bounty hunters they're constantly calling back to dispatch they're sending yeah. other bike. This guy's not getting it done. I'm sending another bike messenger. Who's also this bike messenger's arch enemy. And- <laughs> <laughs> I, I would call this a goofy fun movie. I liked it. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of the more enjoyable films this week. As long as you don't take it seriously, which I never did. No, um, written, well, that's it's it's because it's written and directed by David Kep, the guy who has written some of the most profitable movies of all time. Who I think has nailed movie formulas. To such a degree, he's like, I can take this stupid concept and make a high-octane thrill ride for 90 minutes well, out of I, it. I can see the appeal, okay? Directors hate scenes when all it is is two people talking, mm-hmm. okay? They they want movement. That's why you often get the walk and talk. Yes. And here it's anytime we have dialogue, we just have it be talking on their phone while they're also bike riding, and yeah. then we get the movement and action while we're getting the necessary plot information through conversation. Which, by That's the way, it, is how I want my plot delivered in every video game. If you ever make me stop and endure your goddamn fucking exposition, talk to me <laughs> while I'm running, running and gunning. And that's yeah. the, and the movie is beautifully shot, like a, a chase scenes mm-hmm. all in New York City. Yeah, I, was, I, I saw a uh, recent clip of the making of the latest Spider-Man film, mm-hmm. and there were a number of points when it was New York City, but it was just Tom on a green screen. Yep. And this mm-hmm. is like the tail end of like, you want to film in New York, you're going to have to bust your ass and film in New York, because this is actual New York. The city's and, not going to uh, stop very cheaply. Once. Right. No. And no. you can't stop it for very long. Mm-hmm. It's like no. we got to <laughs> so you, you got a ticking clock. Run out there. You got to yeah. set up ready. Roll it. Run down the street. 
Okay, oh, every character in this film also has a ticking clock. Like the cop yes. has a ticking clock. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has a ticking clock. I, I think his girlfriend might have some. Well, I don't it's know. It's the same as his. Yeah. It, it, his. It, it's You're just right. that Michael Shannon is one of the weird... I'm like, oh, great. Michael Shannon's the bad guy. I know what to expect. I did yeah. not know what to expect. He is... Never underestimate yeah. him. He is <laughs> way... What would you say? Meek he's and wienerish. He's face, the actor. He's a, but yeah, but he's usually a <laughs> badass. A Coen Brothers guy in a big hat with a big gun. And here he is just like a fucking loser. A cop yeah. with a gambling debt who has to intercept a bike messenger message to the Chinese mob about children. Uh, don't so... think about that. <laughs> yes, don't if you didn't know, <laughs> if you didn't know Joseph Gordon-Levitt is delivering something involving human trafficking, I had in my, the first thing in my notes is like, unrepentantly stupid. Yeah. It, it mm. is... Fun stupid. Fun. Fun stupid. Capable. Yeah. Fun stupid. Competent stupid. Competent stupid. And, and yeah. every like, one of the coolest things I've seen Michael Shannon do, it is so silly. <clears throat> and I have no idea how this was greenlit and put out in 2012. It seems like a much, much older film. But if it was streaming somewhere for free, I would totally recommend it. I need to pay the four bucks to yeah. Amazon. Uh, I will also point out Joseph Gordon-Levitt did some oh, of yeah. his own stunts because at the very end of the film, you see him like, uh, that's the taxi cab I crashed into and here's my massive cut on my arm. I, yeah, oh, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't figure out if that shot, I think that shot might be in the movie. Well, it's a stunty tradition that if you yeah. hurt yourself badly, that's the shot that goes in the film. I don't. But know he wasn't doing a stunt. Actors, he like though. he legitimately hit a fucking cab. <laughs> like he wasn't <laughs> supposed to do that. Um, but but yeah, that it's it's adrenaline laced. Like it is yeah. it is very well shot. I don't know that we'll ever see a movie like this again because I just don't see a movie this small ever being made again by a major studio in it New York could City. Go direct to Netflix. I mean, they do Maybe. small yeah. movies these days. Maybe. Maybe it's in an odd choice because there's some of the dialogue is some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard, but it, <laughs> it, I was smiling the entire time. Premium rush. Yeah. I cannot recommend. Yeah. It. I recommend yeah. it. Yeah. I would recommend it too. And this, this week has just been so overloaded with, um, crap. Yeah. That, you know, and a lot of them have been dumb, but they haven't been fun dumb. Yeah. This is, this is fun. And dumb. I will take fun dumb. And, and this time. is the guy who wrote Jurassic Park and, <laughs> the fucking the Da Vinci Code. So I think he knows that he's making something fun, dumb, and yeah. He, he, yeah. he knows the formula to making an interesting film, and does it in I think a legitimately hard way. And it's again Midnight Run vibes got him the whole yeah. time. Oh, Ramirez is sweaty the entire film. Yes, like literally every single shot of her she is sweat dripping. Is she a real and world cast member? Is that is what they she? said? I can't. Dania, I don't know. Dania yeah. Ramirez. Yeah. Am I thinking of the right know. person? Yeah, no, that's her. That's yeah, her. Like, uh... yeah. Uh, but when my wife and I go for bike rides, we we will bike the same distance, and at the end of it, I am dripping. Yep. My shirt is see through, <laughs> like a, in a wet T-shirt contest. And she'll get off, and she'll have like one tiny piece of sweat. So I, uh, some people just sweat more than others. I, I was guess. I was dating someone who liked a bike ride and other physical things, and it's just like it puts. It puts me in an odd position that everything we do together makes me look disgusting and you look unf <laughs> unflappable. Uh, I can barely breathe. I'm sucking down water and I'm drenched in my own sweat. Uh, but Premium Rush, man, I can't... I, I high recommend for Premium Rush. Yeah. Don't sleep yeah. on it. I agree. Uh, it fun. And then on television 2012, August 19th to 25th, not... I said the whole time, don't say Cooper, and I almost did. <laughs> Copper. Copper debuts on BBC America. Ooh, yeah. 
So uh, this is a period drama set in the immediate post-Civil War New York City Police Department. It's very graphic, you know. It makes a couple of mistakes. They have a CSI element to it in 1865, which is deeply stupid. I mean... There's a kind of limit. It's kind of just fingerprints. (laughs) I don't even think fingerprints were around I'm not sure they were. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting glimpse into a time gone by. Yeah, I I I liked it. I think it went two two short seasons. Um, it's produced by Barry Levinson and Tom Fontana, the guys who did Homicide: Life on the Street. What? And mm-hmm. Tom Fontana did Oz, I think. Right? He's the yeah. producer of uh, Oz. Yeah, and just the idea of like, let's do a police procedural in a different time period. Uh, how about like that Gangs of New York time period? Yeah, okay. Yeah, like, and. Uh, yeah. There's a black doctor in 1865, which is perfectly fine because the first African-American to earn a medical degree was in the 1830s. And I always say that your fictional characters don't have to be average. In fact, most fictional characters aren't average. So it's perfectly fine to have a unaverage character. Oh, shit. Tessa Thompson was on it as uh, as that guy's wife, the doctor's wife. I did not realize that was her. So that's the first place I saw her. Hooray for her. I like her. Uh, speaking anyway. of BBC, we have an American remake of something that fared much better over there. The Inbetweeners debuts on MTV. Yeah. One season, but I, I, like was nominated for a ton of awards, the British version, and even got a movie. But I think it was a show about teenagers, and teenagers age out of that after a while. So the MTV version only lasts 12 episodes. Yeah. The thing I wanted to know the most about this week was something called Max Quickies debuting on Cinemax. Okay, so <laughs> what is this? Cinemax has a reputation. It's known as Skinemax for a reason. Mm-hmm. So yes. Max Quickies is basically them saying, "What if we edited yes Skinemax films into short segments and just sh- showed those the porn?" And scenes. my response to that is, "Porn exists." I mean, take <laughs> Cinemax. This is the second time in history I'm. In the history of me doing these shows, I've been researching something for a show, and a link I come upon is one of my co-hosts posting on Reddit, like, what the fuck is this? Does anybody know? <laughs> like, JR, JR's post on Reddit asking what this is for this show is, like, the fourth link on Google, Be- because there's no resonance for this. I, I think I told that story before. I met a dude whose job was making these movies and how and talking about how they were struggling, and this just sounds like robot chicken cut to the good stuff there's no reason to occupy 90 minutes of a channel when most people only need five to 20 minutes it's 2012 people yeah if this were 1992 i would understand but it's i know but there's there's still porn theaters out there because you know some people are old enough they're still doing that and i think if your cinemax it's like we have an audience who still pays for this for this reason we need to come up with something And, and it's just like other than that there is no identity or information on what this show ever was <laughs> nope. but we we are just assuming there's an amazon listing for it a product work. that doesn't exist yeah i think they yeah. took it down <laughs> well I, I think what it was it's just a bunch of it's clips from a bunch of movies that aren't owned by cinemax no one can sell this they license oh. them for this show and they're all owned by other people and lastly we got jo- hard pivot from cinemax porn <laughs> uh and phineas and ferb <laughs> where's perry part two uh, so Perry was one of the breakout stars of Phineas and Ferb. He gets cosplayed 
all the freaking time, and mm-hmm. he's really being pushed by the uh, Disney Channel at this time. He's uh, the the platypus wearing the, a hat, right? Correct. Yep. I love him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, know anything about him. I know I love him. But yeah, this is the Disney Channel's longest running series of all time. Yeah. Mm. They they, yeah. they are really nomadic when it comes to those series, and they cut them off pretty quickly. And I, I'm shocked this went for as long as it did. I believe Phineas and Ferb had the distinction of being the first Star Wars crossover after Disney purchased Lucasfilm. It went oh, to wow. Phineas and Ferb first. Uh, yeah. So that's how big the show was. I have... it's, it's the closest thing we've gotten to a new Looney Tunes in my lifetime. Really? I'd say that. I yeah. totally missed it. Yeah, I had no cable of any kind back then, but obviously it's on Disney+. Plus. I should go back yeah. and check it out. Get some weed and whatnot. Video games of 2012, August 19th to the 25th. We got Transformers Fall for Cybertron. On a PS360. Uh, uh, yeah, the pitch meeting for this was, you know, Gears of War. Well, what if it, instead of ducking for cover, instead you turned into a car? These games are not bad. They are very interesting. They're about the best thing to come out of those awful Transformers movies that Activision tended to make a game to coincide with one of those terrible Michael Bay movies. And they're all pretty not bad. Forget where this one lies because who knows. But uh, The Expendables 2 has a video game out this week. Rock stupid friendly AI, like yeah. some of the worst <laughs> bots you've ever seen, but maybe they were all method acting. Ah, ah. singer against <laughs> the expendables. And I should have looked into this more. Uh, Counter Strike Global Offensive comes out, which is like the probably the third biggest overhaul of Counter Strike. I was a huge Counter Strike fan from beta to release. And I think, nope, is is this console version, this new Steam version going to catch on? Fuck yeah, it did. It did great. CSGO begins t- 10 years ago, and I believe that's still the version people are playing. I don't know for certain, but uh was a huge Counter-Strike fan. And this is the first one optimized for consoles that was fairly playable on consoles, but come on, you know where you're supposed to play it. One of my favorite DS... 3DS games ever came out this week. New Super Mario Brothers 2. I was never a big fan of New Super Mario Brothers on the Wii. I thought it was cute the first time they did it. But the interesting thing, lives in a regular Mario game should be worthless and you should have infinite of them. And this game understands that and it becomes a collection of coins. And it's one of the best 2D Mario games Nintendo has ever made, in my opinion. 100% 100% agree. It's well-designed, concise levels. It's some interesting things they're playing around with. There's a level where all you do is hop on top of totem poles. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing. But why didn't they have Wario as the main villain? He's obsessed with coins. That yeah, would have been like the true. easy. But it would buck tradition. My favorite part about it, and I love talking about this stupid horseshit, Diana, the street mm-hmm. pass feature. When you close your 3DS and you walked past someone else with a closed 3DS, some games would talk to one another. Mm-hmm. And you could set a goal to where, like, uh, he got this many coins on this micro-level run, and like, ooh, can I beat that? And it has, like, you know, Brett's face attached to it. And <laughs> in Japan, that shit filled up all the time. Every, everybody was playing this game uh, a couple of years ago when I went to Japan, and I, I got so much. It's the most enjoyment I've got out of a Street Pass feature that wasn't a Street Pass game. It's New Super Mario Brothers 2. It's a it's a great innovation in the series, honestly. You've got mm-hmm. red coins, blue coins, coins disguised as ground coins, uh, coins that come out of a little box on your head, and, mm-hmm. of course, coins running out of a turtle's ass. Yes. So. <laughs> it is a disgusting coin orgy. Uh, I, I really the, wish... I, well, I, the thing they missed out, though, mm-hmm. something to spend those coins on. 
they should have had a Mario Odyssey outfit buying place somewhere where yeah. you could have just shoveled all your coins in and get Mario oh, as a plumber, it's Mario why I don't, as a painter, Mario as a Donkey Kong guy. It's why know? I don't talk about it as one of the best portable Marios ever because, I don't know, I, I really wish they would have followed up on it because it did seem like this series has more legs than I thought it did because I think the Wii New Super Mario Brothers games are just dog shit, retreaded nothing. And now Mario Maker is where you can experience that. This had an interesting cachet and I can't believe it's been 10 years and they haven't built on it at all. But I guess where would you with no portable system? Yep. We're going to talk about the last 2D Mario game in a few months when the Wii U comes out. Mm. But yeah, two new Super Mario 2D games were announced at the same E3, and this is one of them. Yeah, and this is the far superior one, in my humble opinion. I love that game dearly. We're going to tell you who died and who lived during this portion of uh, 30 2010. But first, just a couple plugs. Listen to Laser Time. Listen to Video Game Apocalypse every Friday, our video game show. We're talking about uh, sports that can only be in video games this week, as well as a really new game about starting a cult Michael and I played recently. Patreon.com slash LazerTime is how you support us, the show, and we'll give you extra stuff in return. Five bucks all we ask. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for being around. Dai, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenerNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast, and teasing next week. We have a David Lynch film that got booed really badly at Cannes that mm. is a follow-up to a TV show. I wonder oh. how that's going to go. Oh, God. Do I finally have to watch this? Holy shit. We have, well, we already talked about Adventures of Pluto Nash. We have another massive, notorious failure Ooh. starring uh, characters no one's ever heard of. That's part of the problem that Oogie loves, and they're going on a big balloon adventure. But oh the, the highlight, I think, is that we're going to finally meet the Flying Elvises Las Vegas chapter. And we're going to see if they can help Nicolas Cage get his girlfriend back. <laughs> okay. Hey, JR, where can folks find you at? They can find me on the Twitter as J-R-R-A-L-L-S. All right. And with all that other way, we got to figure out who died. And it is a fucking tragic week, in my opinion, oh, of man. things that were very personally important to me. Like almost everyone. Literally everyone yeah. here, I think. Literally everyone. Let's go oldest to youngest mm -hmm. because Phyllis Diller made it to 95. Yeah. And I fucking love Phyllis Diller. Yeah. She is up there with Joan Rivers as being a breakthrough woman in comedy. She had a very distinctive persona. She had a very distinctive look. She spit jokes faster than anybody. She was like a human machine gun spitting jokes, usually at her own expense. And just uh, she man. was just something else. Then a youngster, comparatively, Neil Armstrong was 82, the right. first man to walk on the moon. And I think a lot of people slept on First Man the movie. I quite It's great. It. It's fucking great. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and I just, but as Neil Armstrong, like before, you know, celebrity names, you knew mm -hmm. who Neil Armstrong was as a little kid. I'm mm -hmm. eating off a fucking yeah. solar system placemat. I knew it's like one of the first human beings. I knew who he was, Neil Armstrong. And yeah. The, uh, people who walked on the moon were all universally chosen yeah. because they were incredibly disciplined and had fantastic physiques, but time marches on mm -hmm. and, uh, they're, they're not long for this world given demographics um arthur c clark said he always dreamed that he'd shake hands with the first man to walk on the moon but he never had a, a clue that he'd shake hands with the last man to walk on the moon wow <laughs> that's depressing mm. this is all depressing then, actually 
Uh, then, 78 years old, we lost Muppeteer Jerry Nelson, one of the originals. Man, Count, He's New my, Zealand, he and Crazy Harry, two of my favorite characters. My favorite Muppeteer, personally. He is Emmett Otter. He mm-hmm. is Gobo Fraggle. And uh, he, I was re- reading the biography, like, why isn't he a main Muppet? He showed up late in London when they started the Muppet Show. So he didn't have a main character, despite being a main Muppeteer. Wow. Robin is like his most famous Muppet character, sadly. But, uh, oh but everything else the, the Muppets did, Jerry Nelson is all over the place. And he is my favorite. Love him. I have to argue that Robin is his most well-known character because he also did Camilla the Chicken, Uncle yes. Deadly, and Dr. Strangepork. Three yes. of my favorites. Yes. Yeah, I know, but I, I didn't even know about the celebrity Jim Henson's biography. It was a point of contention that he got, he showed up and everybody's like, you took everything. You took <laughs> everybody. Everybody's already been cast. What am I supposed to do? And and he would end up playing much bigger roles in specials and non-Muppet stuff. He's the head of Fraggle Rock. He's the head of Emmett Otter. And he's he was the Count already. Yeah, I love Jerry. I think he has a distinctive voice. He's great on Fraggle Rock. Truly nice guy and, and slowly died of horrible stomach cancer and uh, I, I miss him dearly he's, he's the Muppeteer I still other than Jim Henson I, I just it hurts to see another care a person occupy his character because I just love the way yeah. he sounds yeah he's a good one and then another one way too soon uh, we lost director yeah. Tony Scott who's only 68 uh, he died by suicide jumped off a bridge near San Pedro and his family's still not sure why right that's I hate uh, to say yeah, I remember that, that. Yeah, he was. He left them a note. It didn't really explain. He he did have some depression, but he had also he had no major health issues. Um, he had just beat cancer a little while ago, and this, they're they're still not sure why. But I mean, come on, he directed Top Gun for crying yep. out loud, and True Romance, and Crimson Tide, and Man on Fire, and his last movie was Unstoppable, which was uh, great, way better than it should have been. It's fucking great, and and uh, he's my preferred Scott, and I really hated Ooh. losing him like that. Yeah, yeah, I said it. There's mm-hmm. a Ridley Scott movie I like more, but most of his movies I don't like at all. And Tony Scott's movies are mostly pretty fucking fun, and yeah. I think helped redefine what cinema looked like in the 90s and the 2000s. Again, I still every once in a while I Google it, like what the fuck was going on with this guy? Like it was just to disappear like that so suddenly sometimes um, you never know yeah yep. he wasn't it he wasn't at a lull in his career uh, no no idea no baffling to think no. about no everyone says they're, they're not sure didn't seem to have huge personal problems well, just going through his wiki a little bit i did not realize that uh his he he um i think he might have broken up uh brigitte nelson sylvester stallone's marriage <laughs> okay <laughs> really yeah. Wow. Or no, oh, he would... broke up his own marriage by cheating on his wife with Brigitte Nielsen oh. uh, while he was working on Beverly Hills Cop 2. Well. So. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> All I have to say that is noise. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time for the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly do. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do. August 19th. In 1963, in Cypress, California. Doesn't tell me anything. Okay. He worked for his father's restaurants and attended John F. Kennedy High School and played in the marching band. What, what, At 15. What, what's his age again? Born 1963. 1963, okay. All right. Uh, so he's turning 61. 60, 59. 59. 59. 59. Gotcha. At 15, he attended his first Beach Boy concert. He was a huge fan of them and would later tour with the band. John Stamos. 
John Stamos. <laughs> Damn, I got distracted by the doorbell and the fucking dog. Sure I was going to mention that he is Principal Scudworth's rival after he stole the title of Prom King from him in Clone High. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, he's a big fan of Elvis Presley. I was going to mention he uh, he got his start in General Hospital before going on the CBS sitcom Dreams. And then I was going to go to his film, Never Too Young to Die. Amazing. Hell yeah. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, if no one had guessed it by that point, Full House. Full House, yeah. baby. Terrible. The worst thing he's ever done, yet is most famous for. I think, <laughs> I think every woman deserves a pass for fucking John Stamos, no matter what their, their, their partner situation is. <laughs> Very, very oh, pretty I think man. So. Yeah. I wasn't going to give this away because it would be too much of a giveaway, but his original family surname is Stamatopoulos. Very Greek. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I feel like, yeah, there's some people that are just, it's a freebie for everybody. Male, yep. female, whatever your orientation. I cannot. Yeah, if you come home, if you come home smelling like John Stamos, everyone should just high five. And yeah. 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 Way to go, honey. Uh, <laughs> maybe something like that will happen to me. And you didn't invite me to join in? That's amazing. How does he smell? Uh, <laughs> but uh, weirdly, one of those guys I love more for being famous because every time he shows up on stuff, he's willing to have a good time. Seems like a fun guy. Friends with yeah. nothing but fun people and apparently is super nice. Doesn't seem to have a lot of Me Too baggage. Good for him. I want to watch that eulogy they gave Bob Saget on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I have not seen that, but. He's did a lot of fun stuff with Bob Saget after the years. It was it was so cool to <laughs> see them full, after full house. I yeah. think Bob Bob Saget told a joke about her. He told a joke about that because they hung out all the time, John Stamos and Bob Saget. So they on I think on more than one occasion they'd go into like a bathroom and they can tell like okay we're made and then they just started speaking in full house characters like Michelle <laughs> is doing terrible in school like just to freak people out. Freak people out. Like they've walked into a full house episode somewhere in this restaurant bathroom. <laughs> That's hilarious. That makes me smile. That's it's yeah. not. Yeah. I love because on, they came on talk shows together all the time to promote nothing just to be, yeah. be pals. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Love the Stamos. And I, I it's yep. very, very weird. I loved his cover of forever on full house. I taped it. I watched it a lot and he, he is playing on Kokomo. He did tour with the beach boys. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's amazing that you start off as a fan of something and then become a member of that. When does that ever happen? I think that's a testament to his handsomeness, that he swooned a bunch of straight rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> Just turned on the charm. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't quite understand why he, he never really had the film career. I mean, starting with Never Too Young to Die, you know, there's plenty I of... I think he got sucked into the full house yeah, where full he's house, shooting yeah. all the time. He was making bank money and he was like i don't really need to slave for a movie career when i'm set yeah. for life yeah i guess so because i mean yeah i think about sort of his acting contemporaries uh, you know start out in the younger teen roles but they're actually in their early 20s and then you know transition to where you know where where was this shitty rom-com phase that's true <laughs> why the fuck did that never happen he should have at least played the guy the girl is fucking in the beginning before she meets somebody more with yeah. her. Yeah. What the yeah, Exactly. Fuck? You could play a cad. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So 
going out on the charts this week, I saw, God damn it, after all our talk about Guns N' Roses starting a riot a couple weeks ago, November Rain is about as high on the charts as it's going to get. Yeah. A nine-minute song for no <laughs> reason. I love that. <laughs> and it's it's so bizarre looking so forward to that music video on MTV. Like, I hope they play November Rain. They did in the cinematic wonder and Playboy model Stephanie Seymour. I had the play. I had one Playboy, and it was the woman from the November Rain video, and that was yeah. my first Playboy. I mean, it's. I, I think it's a great song, but it's like it, it did make me nervous at the time. Of like, is Guns N' Roses going to turn into like a basically what the prog rock bands turned into, where they started out really cool, and then they start bringing in full orchestras, and they start like really getting up their own asses, and next thing you know, they're yes, and they got a wall of keyboards, <laughs> and they're putting on ice shows about the, uh, King Arthur and the knights. Like, is that going to happen to Guns N' Roses? Fortunately, no, they broke up. <laughs> like, oh, I don't. I want to live in that timeline now, Diana. <laughs> So, yeah, November Rain, I feel like, is like, that's as big as they're going to get. Their magnum that's opus. That's crazy to think of. Yeah, they wouldn't really write anything together as a, ba- a full band ever again. They'd cover shit for the spaghetti incident. Yeah. And, damn. Yeah. This is it. This is the, the grand statement that they have to make. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yep. you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, Guns N' Roses, take us out. Never mind the darkness. We're still getting